Hi, this is Marlene with Miami Ghost Chronicles, and I want to welcome you to another episode of Stories of the Supernatural. Wherever you find us, whether it's a video on YouTube or on your favorite podcast platform, please like and subscribe to us so that you can get notification of when a new show is released. You can also find us on major social media platforms where I give you a heads up about upcoming shows and which date and time they will be aired. If you go to MiamiGhostChronicles.com, you can find links to the shows, MP3 files which you can download, or links to your favorite platform like iTunes, Spreaker, SoundCloud, and all other major sources. You can find information for upcoming and past talk show appearances as well as new book projects at MarlenePardo.com. You can also purchase books and merchandise there. And you can visit my author page on Amazon at Marlene Pardo Pelliser. Due to popular demand, I'm narrating my True Believer stories that have collected throughout the years in a new series called Supernatural Storytime. You can find links at SupernaturalStoryTime.com. If you are into classic horror, ghosts, and adventure stories, I narrate some of those at Nightshade Diary. And you can find links at NightshadeDiary.com. If you would like to read noteworthy news about the paranormal world, true crime, conspiracy stories, and anything that is just plain weird, you can visit the Stranger Than Fiction Stories tab at MiamiGhostChronicles.com. I do want to thank you all for being part of my audience, and I think you are all wonderful. Hi everybody, this is Marlene with Miami Ghost Chronicles Stories of the Supernatural. How's everybody doing? Good, I hope. Over here, it's good. I'm having... Uh, you know, on the farm, like I said the last time, we're going into the rainy season, and since I've got all my new 100-plus Logan and Mango trees, I'm in farmer mode, so now I understand how important the rain is, and, you know, before it was like, oh, oh my God, it's going to rain, and now it's like, I guess, first thing I do when I get up is look at the weather report and see what the percentage is of rain, because... Uh, now in June, July, uh, well, I'm almost at a year, so I've got saplings out there. And believe me, folks, I paid, you know, a lot of work and money has gone into these things, and the rain is critical, okay? Uh, when you've got a hundred and something trees out there that, as they grow older, of course, they're going to get stronger, and water's important, but not as important as it is now. So, yeah, talk about busy and then some and then of course my chickens and the birds and you know you guys hear them all the time in the background so yeah I'm, I'm I'm busy and sweaty because it's humid here in South Florida but anyway let's get to the good part the good part is who my guest is tonight okay and he's been here before and it's gonna be such a good interview yay because we were already talking about I mean I, I've I've appeared uh, I've been interviewed by him and you know vice versa but that's okay let me get to it. Who I've got here tonight is Reverend Sean Whittington. Okay, now um, he is a devout Catholic, ordained and trained registered exorcist. He's a deliverance minister and him and his wife, who also had a near-death experience, and she's a certified minister through her Lutheran faith, uh, who's also, by the way, an intuitive. They And they both survived demonic attacks. We've talked about that. They're a husband and wife ghostbusting team, and they're out of Las Vegas. And but besides that, um, Reverend Sean, the Rev, has believe me, he's gone up uh, up against the Satan full force. Okay, because he went from the regular 
paranormal investigations to what we were talking about before we started recording the ones where people like a lot of paranormal teams will either if they're smart they back out or they peel out of the driveway of the people's house when they realize that whatever's there whether it's human or non-human is dark and malevolent um and like i said he's the host of vegas supernatural on kcor radio and he has that show every monday at 5 p.m uh, pacific standard time and 8 p.m eastern stand standard time and he just released a new book god ghosts and the paranormal ministry a supernatural and spiritual autobiography which by the way he was gracious enough to send me a copy and i started reading it and i told him even after the dedication right off the introduction it hooks you in because right away he starts uh talking about the reality and we're gonna get into that when we speak to sean we're the reality of what possession is with a non-human entity and believe me it's much more disturbing than anything that you're going to see in any movie or show or any of that stuff believe it believe it or not it's they, they kind of like emphasize for dramatic purposes as there's much more to it and this is the person that's going to tell us about it so how are you doing today sean I'm doing wonderful, and it's, you know, you and I are going to have to quit meeting like this. People are going to talk. Oh, okay, all right. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, it's funny. When, when uh, I want to give a shout-out to um, Annette Munich, owner yes. of Stellium Books. Uh, without her, my book would have never gotten published, and she did such a wonderful job. Totally um, went way beyond my expectations, and so I owe her big time. But she was setting me up a lot of guest appearances on other radio shows. And when I saw your name on there, I had to laugh. I don't know if she knew you and I were already friends, but I had to kind of laugh. And I just, yeah. and I told her, yeah, I, I know Marlene. And I, you know, circled that on the calendar and I was looking forward to today. But yes. you said something funny so. at the very beginning. I know everybody's going to think you and I are probably doing the interview from the animal hospital that I work at because of your birds. Yes. And I've got the two big circus bears here. Oh my, my wife's God. usually, yeah, but my <laughs> wife's usually babysitting them at the other end of the house when I do a radio show okay. and they stay calm but she's not even home from work yet okay. so they are going nuts that I'm locked in the office trying to do an interview they can hear me in here and if they really wanted to bust through and get in here they could so if people hear that uh, we're not at an animal hospital we're just let me tell you something and, and, we have animals. animals are worse than children yeah they gotta be where you're at or they talk about bad timing you know, they make noises, they do, they do wild stuff. I tell everybody, right right about now, it's dusk here in South Florida. Okay, it's it's about 7.30. And anybody that has had any amount of animals, especially roosters, this is when roosters, it's sunup and sundown is when roosters go crazy trying to either crow or get together with the chickens. And they run after the chickens. And they make, they you'll hear them tramping up and down. They sound like elephants on my porch. And so <laughs> you all know, if you hear, it's, yeah. it's nothing paranormal. It's the chickens. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And my, my two massives think they're little pugs. So if you're sitting in a chair, they want to yes. climb up on you and get your lap. If you lay yes. down yes. in bed, they're on top of you. Yes. It's, it's, uh, if you didn't love them so much, I would just have them outside in a dog oh, in the house. But I know. I know. They Mine live, too. So. Mine too. But you also said something funny about <laughs> these. Most of my clients, believe it or not, are paranormal teams that have found themselves in situations that they realize almost too late that they're in over their heads and then they, mm -hmm. they come to me. But 
you said talking about peeling out of the driveway reminds yeah. me of a case where when I pulled up, the family's pastor was already standing in the driveway and he wouldn't go into the house. He was waiting for me. And as soon as he introduced himself, we talked for a minute and I started going to the house. I turned around because I heard a car door shut. And when yeah, I turned like, around, he's peeling out of the driveway. <laughs> that's right. He's like, okay, uh, my conscience is clear. I left him in the hands of another reverend. That's yeah. it. I'm out of here. Yeah. I actually stood there for a second and went, I, I'll be honest. I, I know what these things are capable of, but I have no magic powers. I All sat right. there and gave it a second thought if I really even wanted to knock on the door. Well, based on that, you'd be like, hmm, okay. Uh, and he made me think, maybe uh, I just won't tell him exactly what's there because then what if he leaves and then I'll be, <laughs> what <laughs> yeah. if he just decides, well, you know what, you, what you, they belong to your, you know, you've worked with them before, right? You know, they, they go to your church, so I'm going to leave you here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. People don't realize that there's a lot of clergy, and I'm not only talking priests. I'm talking ministers, a clergy of different types of denominations, that they're great with the people in their church when it comes to life matters. You know, grief counseling, marriage counseling. Uh, you know, you know their sermons, but when it comes to stuff like this, this is where they're like, uh, uh, and this is. This is where the ones that say they, you know how there's a lot of these clergy sometimes that they kind of poo-poo the devil and Satan kind of thing, you know, as, oh, you know, this is the part where they, they all of a sudden you realize, you know, no, you do believe in it. Yeah. As a matter of fact, you don't want to mess with it. That's how much you believe in it. Well, you know, what? when I'm uh, behind the scenes, what I'm most proud of is I'm, I'm still teaching those two classes, Introduction to Spiritual Warfare and Introduction to Paranormal Ministry okay. uh, through the Worldwide Bible College and Theological Seminary. There are two 16-week online classes, but I designed the course for clergy that, and it's, you know, if they say, I want me and you to be the only one that knows, I'm taking this course through you. Some of them have to worry about being excommunicated from their church. because the, And so... But they have no knowledge when it comes to the paranormal. They're wonderful priests. They're right. beautiful people, and they do believe in that. But they are—it's um, just something that's not really widely spoken about and talked about amongst in that no. field. Like, so they have to be very careful, and that's yes. uh, that's why I designed the, a lot of laity, of course, um, take the course, and then some people come to me, and I can tell they think they're going to get training to become an exorcist. And I have to point out right from the beginning, this is not a, a training course to be, make you become an ex exorcist. It's just to, you know, give you the weapons you need in case you ever find yourself in a situation. Right. Where you I have imagine to, to recognize the earmarks, right? The, 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 Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Because, I mean, people get called in normally, you know, sometimes people go to their pastors or whatever when they're having something going on in their house and, you know... Maybe, maybe they, or they talk about things that have occurred to them or are happening to them, uh, where maybe they, after taking that course, they realize, okay, this is, this is more than, there's something going on here. Yes, absolutely. And a lot of them reach out to me too. I went to on a house blessing reverend and, um, just some odd things happened that I wanted to share with you just to pick your brain and see what you think. And then after we talked for, for a short period of time, I realized I'm honest with them and said, this is what I think. 
and then they'll go, you know, you hit the nail right on the head. That's what I was thinking, but I wanted to see you, I wanted to hear you say it first. I think you need to go over there. So I'll get the address and the phone number, and he'll recontact them back and let them know that he's reached out to me. And uh, everything's uh, confidential with me for them not to worry. And, and you, have, you know, you drive over to a home. I take all the Ghost Be Gone magnets off my car, and it's usually either me or just me and my wife. Mm-hmm. And they like that because they don't want to advertise to the neighborhood no, no, having no. issues. And you got three big black vans pull up and 20 investigators and thousands of dollars. Out, of, like, yeah. yeah. Cameras, lights. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. So it's just, uh, oh, my gosh. Um, I can't even tell you. Well, it, you know, it wasn't my choice to get into this field. And I realize now that um, yeah. I'm only here because of two uh, acts of extreme divine intervention. And through talk, a lot of talks that I had with my mother when I was young, and looking back on that 50 years later, mm-hmm. I realized that it was all planned on the other side. And I was right. meant to be here today doing exactly what I'm doing, but it wasn't my decision. And I actually got pulled into this uh, uh, to steal a phrase off of my then mentor when I got on this path, I got drug into this kicking and screaming, literally, because, you know, Sharon and I worked a case where I used a Ouija board. I didn't know how to use the Ouija board. I was just a ghostbuster. I wasn't ordained. Didn't even, hadn't really even worked any cases that I thought were demonic. And uh, whatever we did, it wasn't the right thing. I don't even really know what we did that was wrong, but something followed us home that night and then it, wow. from there it just started but yeah fi- helping Sharon fight for her life after eight weeks of whatever it was took up residence in our home here wow. uh, from that point on it's just been it's just been crazy and yeah I, I didn't really have a choice I just you know what, what's really funny uh, Sean other people that I've spoken to that do this you know because there's some people out there that are like I'm gonna be an exorcist and I'm gonna take and it's like the most effective persons that I've spoken to that work with deliverance or exorcism tell me exactly what you said. That at the beginning, they really were kind of like, oh, I don't think I want to oh. do this. And yeah, kind of like they go into it, like like you said, they're drugged into it. Almost like, okay, no, you, we know you don't want to, but don't worry, we got your back. I remember like it was yesterday being, I must I think I was 12 years old, and the whole family went down and waited for an hour and a half in line outside some theater in Westwood, California to see The Exorcist. And I remember coming home, throwing my Ouija board out, taking down all my black light posters that looked kind yeah. of on it, and I slept with my parents, I kid you yes, not. Yes, I did too. I slept with my mother. Yeah, for like two weeks. So yes. I remember that like it was yesterday. And that's still, um, that's still, all that kind of stuff goes through your mind when you're walking up to a home. And especially if you've actually, in, you know, sometimes when you're sitting in a home and all at once, like a bomb went off, you've got every cabinet door, every drawer, every bedroom door and every window in the whole home, opening, opening and shutting and slamming all at one time, you have an outer body experience psychologically for a moment or two you can't wrap your head around it and you're wondering am i you know can i just disappear and not be here anymore or is this really happening or what you know it's is this magic i mean what am i 
really experiencing here. And Abby, you, you like this is not just the movies, and it's you, yeah, yeah. You have to. Well, be and, and this is yeah. the thing that people when they go see all these, you know, well, The Exorcist, of course, back then. That, that, like I said, back then people were a lot more innocent, and that's why there were so many people that wigged out. I mean, I mean, don't get me wrong. That movie was kind of like, but back then audiences were really innocent. And between now and then, but even now, you know, they have all these different movies, which of course all of them have a, a demonic slant on them. And it's just not the ghost, but people don't realize that in real life, it's not like, you know, there's not a resolution tied up in a bow. You know, this, this does plays havoc with your life. Like you said, after what you innocently thought you had weeks of, it sounds like a, having a very difficult, horrible time. And in your home, like, where are you going to go? This is where you live. Well, I remember Sharon and I went and saw The Conjuring together, the first one. Right. And she, uh, there's a, there's a, an exorcism at the end of the book that I talk about that I had to think long and hard if I even wanted to put it in the book. And I spoke to a lot of my colleagues and the decision was finally made. Yeah, we, we believe this story needs to be told, mm -hmm. even though I did leave a couple of other stories out of it. But there's a very similar now even though that exorcism didn't really take place in real life uh, in the end of the conjuring in the basement right yeah the, right. i know they had very, a little bit of dramatic license with some of the storyline yeah absolutely but it was so similar to something that her and i had experienced in real life mm -hmm. as the that scene starts sharon is digging her nails into my hand and we're just sinking back in our seats and it's not because the movie was so scary, mm -hmm. and everybody around us, of course, is scared. There's girls screaming and, yeah. and little kids getting up. But we are frightened on a whole other level because, wow, we're like, how did they get that part so like? I know yes. we just knew what we were thinking. So like what that one situation was. And, um, uh, yeah, it's, it's in many cases, it's just like that. And it's... Um, uh, you, you see, but that's you the thing. When, when when you're part of the audience, and you have no, you don't know any better. How's that? You just have, like you said, that good scare, and it's oh, it's just the movie. Oh, okay, let's go home. Uh, whatever, that's it. But when you see it from your point of view, where you like what you said, how did they get that so accurate? What? Oh, it's embarrassing too for me because and Sharon knows why, and she's uh, looks at it different. But we go to a, a movie and there's an uh, an exorcism scene like that, and at the end of the movie, if there's if deliverance is taking place, here I am bawling my eyes out like we went to some, you know, love movie. Or, yeah, I know. <laughs> or, uh, whatever type of movie you would go to where you cry at the end, a, a sad animal movie yeah. or something, and people around us are looking at us like, what's this guy's problem? Yeah, it's like, oh, and I'm crying <laughs> like it's just, you know, uh, yes. it's just, yeah, it's embarrassing for her sometimes. But she knows. She just goes, let's go. Let's go home. We're done. That was a good movie. Let's go. Well, because, you, you know, your, your view of it, you know the reality of it. And people think of it just as for entertainment purposes only. Whereas you think, okay, people don't realize either how accurate it is or how, how profound that moment is. Like you said, the deliverance, the, the point where... You know, whatever it is that's there is being cast out. Okay. And we were talking about this before we recorded, Sean, which I want to talk to you about, which is sometimes people think that this is a one-time deal. Like you said, the deliverance and that that's it. People are off the hook. And sometimes they don't realize that they still got to work 
Like that you give them things that they need to do to keep their lives clear, in other words. This is what I tell people. You, I look them right in their eyes and I say, you're the only one, that, not even me. I mean, I may have been here and experienced some things with you, but you're the only one that truly knows deep down inside what you dodged, the bullet that you dodged mm -hmm. and what was about to happen to you. So right. now whether you take this second chance that God's given you or not is entirely up to you. And I promise you, if you don't... Uh, darn near spend the rest of your life walking on your hands and knees and yes. praise God for giving you a second chance. This is going to happen to you again, and I guarantee you there, there's not enough help on this planet Let me ask for some, you when that happens. Do, do some people realize that, this, that, that, that the things that they got to avoid might be a lifelong thing? I think sometimes they don't realize that. No, they that. don't. You have to talk to them about it. And you know, that, that, that you can't, that you're going to, that you, like what you said, that you're going to look for the rest of your life you know what? You're never ever gonna play with a Ouija board, and you gotta stay out of this type of. In other words, this is. You've been this, marked. Yeah, you you've right. Been marked. From, from now on, from now on, like you know, you are going to have to stay clear. And this is the kind of. Yeah, your path might be a little bit more narrow than other people's. It might not be fair, but it is what it is. And I think a lot yeah. of people sometimes have uh, a hard time with that, especially after Hollywood land. Kind of tells you, okay, the exorcism's done, whatever's been cast out, so everything is back to normal. And I don't think there's ever a thing as back to normal once you've no. been in that situation. No, and they, they, I mean, there's even the smallest little things like in the future, be careful who you date. Yeah. You know, that's, you know, yes. uh, you may see somebody that you think is, is sexy and you guys hit it off and you have so much in common and you're in love. But you better really get to know that person ahead of time because even that person can bring something back into your life. And it, it might be a setup. Oh, I my mean, God. That's how I was thinking, that was, I was thinking yeah. that. And people will say, yeah. well, and you go, uh, yeah, it could be that devious. It could be that manipulative, which is, okay, here this person is, you know, going along. They're doing good. You know, they're, they're, they're okay, how do we, okay, let's face it, a romantic partner. That is, you know, like in other words, they manipulate it so that you cross paths with the most inappropriate person that might not seem inappropriate from the get go. Yeah. And it's all the master plan to pull you slowly back into a lifestyle or God knows what to make you vulnerable. Yeah. And a lot of my colleagues don't like it when I talk like this. Sometimes they think that I talk, um, that I talk these things up too much and it's not that I'm talking them up um, it's like I don't really care for the term demonology and I don't really study about demons right. I, I my approach is to try to learn as much as I can about the one that I serve and not so much about delving into demonology because I, I have enough of that around me I don't want to delve into it because you can also be get your mind can be getting infected and you don't even know that your mind and your thoughts and how you look at things and perceive things are being infected and right. changed by studying that stuff. Yes. But these things are ancient, ancient, exactly. ancient, mm. old, powerful, knowledgeable, smart, uh, malevolent entities that have the have have eternity on their side. And one thing they are, if they're anything at all, is patient. Oh, yeah. And it may be 40 years till you run into that person that they purposely put in yes. your path to run into. 
But yes. you just said the rest of your life, once you've been marked, the rest of your life, you have to be careful. Yes, it's exactly. And, and I think a lot of people, you know, I'm sure you've heard of people, whether it's uh, situations, friends, or your romantic interests, that after the fact, they'll say, you know what, at the beginning, I, I had like this gut feeling, but I ignored it. They're, you know, their intuition is telling me, hey, you know what, you need to get out of here or stay away from this person, but they poo-poo it. And it's almost like you got to tell them, yeah, you got to pay attention to that. No matter how attractive this person might seem or how uh, perfect, you know, like enticing, for lack of a better word, if you have something in your intuition and your gut if that gives you a hint that then you need to follow and usually you get that right at the beginning i'm going to say right at the beginning you know you have that voice that kind of pulls back and tells you hey you know what this person is either too perfect or you know something here's not right but your little angel on your shoulders whispering in your other ear. Yeah, of course, of course. And they're uh, and I'm a big believer in, in guardian angels too. And I've seen mine twice, and both times she saved my life. So when I hear that little voice, I listen. I think also that sometimes people don't realize uh, whether it's your guardian angels or if you call another type of angel. Sometimes they cannot help you unless you ask for the help. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, they, they, in other words, un unless you specifically say, uh, uh, you know, I need help right now with this specific, you know, they, they, some, it's almost like they, they're there, but if, unless you ask for the help, they, they're, they just, not that they don't want to, but you have to summon them. You have to ask them for the help. Yes. Uh, and some people, they, it's not like, and I know some people say, well, why wouldn't they? But it's because it always comes down to our free will. Yes. You know, and that, that always applies across the board, no matter what we have free will, including, um, and, and, and a lot of people don't realize that when you do ask for angelic help or you pray to, you know, to God, to whatever, um, you have to kind of surrender in the sense of saying, I'm at this point, at this moment, whatever it is, I'm, I, I don't have control of this. You have to, and a lot of people have a hard time coming to that moment saying, you know what, I'm not in control of this and I can't help myself right this second. So I better ask for help. Uh, and some people have a hard time doing that. You know? Yes. Especially when it comes to spiritual matters, I want to say. They, yeah, and they, 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 don't, they don't want to surrender to needing the help and they also don't want to surrender to being honest with people around them that might be able to get them the help, that they're yes. having those issues. Sure, sure. Yes, exactly. And this is the thing also, uh, Sean, people don't realize that sometimes asking for help, even if you want to say specifically, well, that, but sometimes you also have to see, like, get, help me in whichever way. Sometimes it is bring a certain person into your life that's going to help you. You see what I'm saying? Yes. Maybe... You know, sometimes people want to get, well, you know, I want this kind of help specifically. And sometimes you can ask, but then you can say, but if anything else, sure. In other words, leave it open because maybe the help you need that you don't realize you need is in the form, like you said, of either a person or maybe a class or something, something that you just are not aware of. And then once you leave that door open, then it comes, it crosses paths with you. And then maybe later on you realize, man thank God that happened or I met this person or because I realize now that otherwise God knows what would have happened. Um, so you always have to like, 
like I said, like stand back a little bit and it's okay to be able not have control of certain moments. Uh, especially when you're not really sure or you feel like I'm out of my depth in this. There's nothing wrong Absolutely. with that, by the way. There's nothing There's nothing wrong with that. Especially when you're I, talking something along these lines. I know your family is from Cuba, correct? Yes. Were you born here or are you born in Cuba? No, I was born here in Miami. Yeah, I was going to ask if you Cuba. remember growing up, if any of you remember, uh, you know, uh, seeing any uh, other than traditional uh, religious practices, if you experienced anything like voodoo or Santeria or anything well, like that. let's put it this way. My family did not, pa well, in Santeria is, you know, the Cuban version of voodoo. It's, you know, they've got all their distinct kind of, even they're very similar because of, you know, the slaves that were brought to the Caribbean, including Brazil also, which has got, got candomble. You know, they've, they've kind of made their own version of the belief system. In Cuba, it's the kind of white magic is Santeria. My family didn't believe in it. As a matter of fact, my mother and my aunt, they were both, uh, they were both sent to convent school, hmm. you know? But yeah. I'm gonna tell you something, I hate to say it, uh, a lot of not there were some people that were adherents and they totally believed in it and they were parent but then you would have the other ones I hate to say it, that would go to Catholic you know go to you know to mass on Sunday but then they would go in through the back door of the of the person you know give a, get a reading or you know do spell work and that and here in, in Miami they have now in strip shopping centers they have botanicas which is Basically, where you can buy a lot of the spiritual goods or things like that, you can get a reading. Uh, and then there's a, there's a dark side to Santeria, which sometimes we're talking here, you know, when people go and they want to put a death curse on somebody or revenge. I mean, it's dark. It, yeah. They, uh, you can go to a lot of the different cemeteries here, and I guarantee you, you're going to find some type of dismembered animal part, mostly chickens thrown in there. I mean, yeah. I've gone to a lot of the cemeteries, of course. I grew up in Miami. Uh, a yeah. lot of the four ways, you know, and I think I've told you about this. You're going to railroad tracks. As a matter of fact, I've had a railroad track very close to my house. I want to say maybe like within half a mile. And I have this poor man who his property, one side of his property is on the tracks, you know, right there. Yeah. He put up a big sign. He paid to get printed like a banner. Yeah. Please stop leaving your offerings on my on the tracks <laughs> because, uh, because basically the you know the tracks are a little bit elevated and then it uh, slopes down into on either side and out here it's very agricultural but this basically that side when you cross over which is where everybody leaves it is basically it slopes off into his front yard now what is the what is the offerings on the railroad track really represent basically a lot of times i want to say that they'll do something uh, let's say, let's say bad luck. Let's say a person's having really bad luck, money problems. Let's go with that. They go with money problems and they go to a Santero and they, and they'll say, you know what? I've got a streak of bad luck or somebody, you know, did something to me. Not really dark, not major, believe it or not. And they'll kill a chicken. And basically they, they do a ceremony where they use the live chicken to take away whatever it is that they, you've got on you on a spiritual and basically, it's placed into that animal, okay, and it's killed mm -hmm. and it's dropped on the on the railroad tracks. And of course, you know about the, the power of iron when it comes to overcoming the supernatural. 
and also that the train, like in other words, that this thing will not be able to return back to whoever it was. In other words, it will be taken away by the train and the iron and it will not be able to return or go back to the origin, the originator. Hmm, very interesting. And uh, yeah, you fi you'll find a lot of bags and you can look in there, you're going to find body, you know, usually, usually uh, chickens, you know, sometimes you'll get offerings. If you go to the beaches, you'll find, if you see fruit floating along the water, it's that they've done some type of offering of fruits, of ceremonies. That's very common here. And, uh, like, a, and, and, you know, sometimes you'll go to somebody's house, and like you said, you'll, you will, uh, look behind the door and they'll have some type of statue or something. And then there's people that are full-fledged, you know, in other words, they don't, not only do they believe in it, they they are either a priest or a priestess, and it's very demanding the people that are involved in this, where sometimes they have a whole room dedicated to the what they call the santo or you know that's claimed them, and they they basically have to dedicate a room and certain offerings and certain things, and and they it's 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 let me tell you something it's a lifestyle it's you just and if to make any major decisions, you have to basically uh, make sure that it's okay to, to yeah. go ahead. Have you ever been invited over to a friend's house and you had no clue they were into that and then you see their little, their altar set up? One time I did go in there and uh, this was a while back. And uh, it was, a, as a matter of fact, it was, I want to say he was a guy that one of my friends was dating. And I think we went by his house for something. I can't remember what. And he was starting to really get heavy into it, but we didn't know. And he had, a, he didn't have a room. He had a closet. He opened up a closet. Okay. Mm. And it was like, he was already in, I was like, ah, and it's really funny <laughs> because a lot of it, it's like, you could have the most modern looking, looking person, you know, that you think, oh, the last thing. And they, they're very heavy into it. I had a friend, well, she's no, no longer my friend. I mean, I haven't seen her in many years, but. She was brought up on it in it in um, she was living in LA at the time and uh, she was brought up in it and her mom was very very heavily into it as a matter of fact would travel to Haiti sometimes to meet with priest voodoo priests over in Haiti and uh, I'm gonna give you a perfect example uh, the the Santos told her mom like when she was barely like 15 or 16 she you cannot live under the same roof with your daughter any longer so her mom went and got her an apartment and she had to live by herself. And of course, this led to her getting married very early with another guy whose parents were very, very heavily involved in this. And, um, the, you know, she, she was very, she, you know, big because basically you, you live it. This is not like, a oh, I'm gonna, you know, you, you, this kind of like you live it. And at some point, you know, she had a kid and she just wanted out. She says, I, I don't want to do it. And she moved down here to Miami, which is when, you know, we crossed paths and we became pretty good friends. And she would tell me her mother would always tell her because she had pretty gone pretty high up. She had become a santo, which is, you know, when they basically do the ceremonies and everything that needs to be done. And she would tell me that her mom was constantly telling her, you need to work it. You can't throw this away. You, In other words... It's almost like, you know what you hear about the mafia? You can never yeah. really get out of it. Blood in, blood out. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, it doesn't help either when your parent 
is very, very, you know, and her mom was very much sought after because uh, she would even tell me of her, you know, of her mom being, you know, possessed during ceremonies. Wow. And she had, they said, uh, she had various spirits. And she says that there was one that they called him in Spanish, El Desconocido, which is the unknown one. They didn't know who he was, but that it was very masculine and rough, like monsterish. And she says they never knew what it was that would take her wow. over during ceremonies. And I remember listening to her and I'd be like, holy crap, I can't, I can't imagine yeah. seeing my mother do something. But yes, yes, here you you go from light, as in I kind of believe in it, and I'll go get a reading to the full Monty, uh, where you are totally integrated with it. Uh, you'll go through the some houses here in Dade County where they've got the life size. And when I mean life size, I'm talking six feet statue. Uh, in their front yard, like usually in a shrine. And, or that you walk in, I've walked into some houses and it's been like, whoa, okay. <laughs> you know, because they're like more than life-size in a way. Yeah. It, it, it demands a lot of, if you're into it, it money and attention. Yes. Yeah. And there's a dark side to it, by the way. There's, uh, they, they've gone out there, there's groups out here uh, that go out in the woods and they have found areas where they practice a lot of the dark magic and their sacrifice of different animals. Not only chickens, we're talking here, different animals, dogs, cats. Uh, uh, and, you know, they might want to call it, but there, there's absolutely a satanic overtones to it. I don't care, you know, what the origin is of it. Because anything that demands the sacrifice of blood, yeah, okay, I'm sorry, but you're, you're getting there into whatever, whatever it is you want to call it. Under whatever umbrella you say the religion is, I don't care if it's my personal belief once you start sacrificing and something whatever it is whatever deities demands or you, you've got to feed it blood okay then you know i'm sorry but you're into something very dark and you and yeah. satanic so yeah so yeah it, it, there's different variations and of course we have a lot of cultures uh there's a haitian population here and i'm telling you they they really believe in it oh yeah they they're very very much believe in like, if somebody's placed a curse on them, a hex on them, uh, yeah, they're, it's not like they just, they really adhere to, they're in fear of it. How's that? They they fear the power of it. You know, it's not yeah. like, uh, so, and by the same token, I've done investigations where, uh, you know, people, they've cursed, they've been renting a property and they've had stuff done to the, to the property really meant for the owner of the house but because they are renting now and they're living there that thing has taken over and it's got god it's been awful what they've had to endure uh even though it wasn't meant for them i guess is my point uh they've had to uh they've suffered the consequences of that magic it's not like oh <clears throat> it's just for that one per person or that one family yeah, I got a little trouble too with some of my colleagues because I had. Did I tell you the story about the tree that was going to fall on my home? Maybe you did, but I don't remember. Go ahead. Let's say go. Well, when when Sharon and I moved here, the largest tree on the property, and it was huge. Okay. Finally, after many years, I I knew it was struggling, but you know, I I tried to do whatever I could to keep it alive, and finally it came to the point where it, it had died, mm -hmm. and it started to lean towards our house. 
and it was big. If it had landed, it probably would have taken out our master bedroom. But if it if it fell to to the left, it would cream our cars. If it fell to the right, <laughs> it would cream my neighbor's house. So I, you know, I know who I believe in, and I know who I I mostly pray to and stuff. But you know, I've seen so many crazy things and have experienced so many crazy things in my life. I didn't want to leave any stones unturned, so I actually went out there because we were having some issues here at the house that I knew was something different than uh, a dark malevolent presence. Okay. And I see this very unusual rock in my flower garden. I asked Sharon, where did that rock come from? Oh, that's <laughs> what I brought home many, many years ago from Hawaii when I lived there. I went, oh, honey, you don't you know the, the theory is you don't bring anything away from the Hawaiian Islands. So I reached out to a guy I knew in Hawaii who's a chief of a tribe. What should I do with this rock? He says, well, it's going to be hard to ship it back. Just go out there and put it into a really, like the nicest area of your yard, put it there, and then give it some offerings and stuff. Mm -hmm. So I have one side, I have my colleagues like, no, you're just going to invite trouble doing that. Just throw the rock away. But it's a beautiful rock. But I actually did go out there and I offered the rock some sugar and some candy right. and some money and some perfumes. And I blew some incense on it. I put it in a really beautiful area of the yard where it get a lot of shade and water and stuff. And then I went out and did the same thing to the tree. I blessed the property first. I prayed to God and my guardian angel and all the other angels that have helped me in dire times in my life. But then after I did that, I blessed the ground and I put some candy and um, fruits and money and some other peanuts and things like that around the ground of the tree. And I said, please, whatever you do, mm -hmm. don't let this tree yep. fall on my house, my neighbor's house, or the cars. Now, we woke up the next day and the tree completely went in the opposite direction that it was wow. leaning. And it right in our yard, missing the cars, missing my house, missing my neighbors, and yes. landing just short of the sidewalk so people could still walk by and it wouldn't hit nobody. Is that incredible or what? God, Sean, that's a great story. So that's it's the, ele the elementals. I, I'm a yes. big believer in yes. that too, but I don't pray to them. I'm not asking well, them. This I is, guess I did pray to them. No, I mean, no, being, no. You know what? I, I, told, I think the earth is a living thing. I do believe in elementals. But I think that once, like I said, one thing is that, like you said, you took it and you basically said, look, you know, maybe we made a mistake, but here you're back and here's something. That's not blood. You're not killing an animal. You're not feeding it blood or a life. Or in some cases, some of them do it even to agonize the animal. Once you get, that's the offering you're making, whatever demands that type of offering, you're in deep doo-doo. I'm telling you that right now. That's different, totally different from what you described that you did. Because I, you know, they say, you know, the, I believe the earth is alive and elementals and even plants and animals. And there's, on the metaphysical or spiritual plane, there's a symbiosis that sometimes we just don't see. We feel it sometimes, but we just don't see it all the time. And that's different. That's different. Um, I mean, like, I'll tell you, like, so there was a big property across from my where I live at, and um, the guy has acres, and he used to breed. He had stables with thoroughbreds, and but he had acres and acres of trees, fruit trees, and he sold it. And the guy that took it over, he he runs like rodeo shows. He trains horses, but 
I guess he wanted to open up a lot of the field to train the horses. So he cut down so many trees for so many days and I was hurting. I was in agony. I was like, oh. I, and it was like, okay, okay, Marlene, it's just trees. But no, it was like, oh my God, I can't take this. <laughs> it was hurting me and it was hurting me. I, I, it's difficult to explain. But for the two or three days, I was hearing these saws going and because I'm telling you, there were huge trees. There were he he was making a lot. The prior owner was making a lot of money off these full-grown trees. They're they're kind of like they're called Logan Long, Logan trees. I have some in my yard, mm -hmm. um, and they had been there for years. They had to have been at least twenty years, uh, and I was like, oh my god, I can't take this. And it was like. You know, you kind of feel, you know, like what they talk about the Star Wars, something in the force. You feel a thing in the force. And I was like, I can't take this too much. This better be over quick. But what a waste. And you wonder how, what if, if that brings any bad mojo on your property. I don't, you know what? You know, I'll, I'll, I, I, it was like, um, no, I, I was like, it was like, it, you know, even when they were, because they, they, they had cut down so many trees that they, what they ended up doing was, uh, burning the debris, you know, the, the leftover trees, you know. Mm -hmm. And I remember that all I did was, because, you know, one day we had a big wind and it was blowing westward, and, you know, from east to west over to my house. And my house is made of wood. It's 100 years old. And I remember <laughs> all I did was I called the fire department and I said, look, I need you guys to check over there and make sure these people know what they're doing. Because the last thing I need is some embers to fly over my house to my house and that's it. Yeah. You know, but it, but but at that point it was like the trees were down they were like all i was concerned was it was on a strictly practical basis it was before that when they were doing that to the trees it was like oh my god you know yeah, oh. yeah i mean it's you know the, everybody wants desert landscape here i still i'm only allowed to water like two days a week but i still water my lawn and at least it's not it's not a fairway on a golf course but at least i have a little bit of a lawn left and you know, they wanted the, me yes. to cut down all my uh, shrubbery and other trees and stuff. And I'm like, no, it just to me, it seems uh, it's just no, I don't want to do that. I know it would just hurt to have to cut all of that stuff down. No. It's part of nature. You know, it's part no. of the yard. No, as a matter of fact, sometimes <laughs> I'll go sometimes to the plant department, and, you know, like Home Depot or Lowe's or something. And sometimes they've got these poor plants. They're like drying out <laughs> yeah. and they're hanging out like for 50 cents. And I'm like, I'm going to rescue you. Okay. It's Marlene. Yeah. Stop it. You know? Me too. But yeah, I'm like, when it comes to stuff like that, yeah, I, I, it's like, I'm a real, I'm a real pushover when it comes to that stuff. But yeah, I do believe, uh, getting back to what you were originally saying about that story, about the, the, what you did that, yeah, there is a symbiosis on a metaphysical level between, even though once we're talking plant life and, you know, we're totally different. Yeah, there is. And they've done experiments where um, plants and trees react to music. They react to human emotions. Uh, you know, it's we're not so totally separate, you know, even though they, you know, they're, it's plant life. But yeah, I think I think yeah. that. But uh, it what happened? And, and then you got the tree cleared away and 
everything yeah, went we back had to a, normal. We had a, a, a nice gentleman that we contacted who came out and sawed it all up and hauled all the wood away. And while he was here, there were a couple other trees, some real small ones that were dying that we had um, him uh, just take the dead branches off. And we have this one huge palm tree. And then, you know, when the palms die, yeah. it's just the dead brown palms all the way down to the ground. Mm -hmm. We had all that cut away and some other yard work done. But for the most part, I've left my, uh, my landscaping the way it is because I just don't see it necessary to just butcher it up and, and have just my lawn be nothing but rocks because I live in the desert. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah you live yeah. in a totally different climate there as far as, uh, even though the weather was kind of wonky this last winter over there in that area, wasn't it? Like, yeah. Yeah, we had a, we had some a big snowstorm. Yeah, it was here. like, I, it's like snowing in Vegas TV or something like that. I lost TV signal and internet signal and couldn't even get in or out of our driveway. And we were like, it looked like the the end of the movie The Shining. I expected <laughs> to see Jack Nicholson walking across my yard and carrying an axe. Yeah, it's like I'm it was, home. Um, it was, and I don't never see that stuff. So it was, it was pretty. Uh, it was. Uh, you're like, wow, this must really feel like. I mean, there's something to being snowed in. Yes. Yeah. So yeah, it was crazy. We did have a crazy winter, and but now it's going to be just another brutal three or four months being on the surface of Mars. Yeah, that you were mentioning, and that 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 yeah, that that down here it's hot and humid, but where you're at, it's hot and dry, but really hot, as far as very desert-like. It's like well, when it's 115 to 120 degrees every day for like two months, it's like being in an oven, and um, you just don't go outside. Your 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 world stops. You go to work, you come home, and then you're. Mm -hmm. You've got the AC cranking, and you've got extra box fans turned on high, all pointed right wow. at you while you're sitting in your most comfortable chair in your underwear watching TV with a big cold drink, and you don't do nothing else. <laughs> Can you imagine what life must have been like out there before, you know, modern stuff like AC and things like that? <laughs> oh, my gosh. Like, okay. Well, ask, ask the Paiute Indians here. I, I have several friends that are uh, indigenous to this uh indigenous peoples that have lived here mainly Paiutes uh -huh. and you know they uh is it's that's they love it you know you know and I one of the books I one of the well my first book that I, that I wrote about which was the wicked wicked ladies of the old west what old uh, haunted history of the old west wicked ladies one of the towns I wrote about was one that it would you know back then they would have these mining towns it was called rhyolite i believe it was right at the entrance oh yeah to, i've been there yeah and it was right at the entrance to death valley and you know that anyway it was like you know all these towns uh existed as long as the mines were going and yeah if the mining absolutely. went so the town like went like it would empty out as fast as it became full of people just as easily as it would depopulate and hence um, the name boomtown yeah, those those were boom times. Like, I mean, they they would put stuff up like basically overnight, and and I was thinking, you know, you think this, you know, because it was up there like at the turn of the century is when it, you know, it took off, and you think about, man, can you imagine living with that heat, like without the benefits of what, like what you said, the AC and all the electricity and things like that? God, that must have been rough. You know it was. Oh my gosh! And then if you go into Death Valley, it's uh -huh. like a completely different world. I mean, it can be a hundred and twenty here. Right. in the Vegas Valley and then it's easily if it's 120 here you you're it may be 130 
in wow. Death Valley, and it's just, oh my gosh. Brutal, it, huh? It's brutal there, yeah. And yes. you've got some really haunted ghost towns all through the Yeah, that's Valley. what I, well, and, and people don't realize that when they would have these frontier towns, that you, you had a lot of people go in there, and a lot of the people that went in there were kind of like very, very dangerous, for lack of a better word. I mean, yeah. Oh, yeah. You look at them the wrong, and they just shoot you, and nobody yeah. else care. They want. Oh, to, I wonder why. I wonder why that guy shot that guy. Oh well. Yeah, it was like. <laughs> yeah, it was like. Yeah, you had merchants, and you, uh, you know, you had ladies of the evening putting up brothels, and but, but at the same time, you had a lot of dangerous people that were out there to make money, or steal, or you know, jump somebody's claim, and, uh, I mean, it, you have really had to keep your wits about you, and people would be get killed easily, very easily, by the way. That's why I think ghost hunters should be a little more careful than what it seems like they are. I understand everybody wants to try to get, you know, the next best piece mm -hmm. of um, evidence of the afterlife. But a lot like when they go to these insane asylums oh, to, and they go to like these ghost towns, remember, a lot of these ghosts there, they were pissed off in life and they're even more pissed yes, off in dead. death. They're dark. They were dark human beings. Forget yeah. the pissed off part. They were dark human beings. And, and, and I'm glad you pointed that out, Sean, because, of course, everybody thinks demonic. And it's like, folks, there's a lot of entities that are human. Origin are Just human. Just mean, yeah. But they were horrible human beings that maybe had, maybe had some type of dark influence. But whatever, they were humans. And they're, if they're still earthbound there, they're very dangerous just as much as anything that's not human. Yeah, I never got into the uh, con um, provoking, especially oh, now that I'm an ordained minister. And a lot of the demonologists do a thing they call religious provocation. I learned quickly that just my presence there is provocation enough. First of all, people are surprised when I tell them before I even show up many times, I have the family send their kids off to a babysitter and send their animals to a kennel for a day or two. So there's no kids and animals in the home because I sometimes can just show up and whatever is there gets just angry yes. that I'm just even there. So there's no sense to go in there and antagonize. You're really, I mean, it's taking the whole poking the bear with the stick to uh, another, another level. <laughs> And I'm gonna I'm gonna give you a for instance as and we were talking about when you've got something that's dark and manipulative, okay? Uh, it's already gonna be over two almost two years. I wanna uh, I I was asked by a group to help them out with something and they suspected it was non-human. But anyway, I, I really I tell them don't tell me too much. Just, well, I'll I'll go and we'll see what what's up, okay? To make a long story short, she suspected the it was a guy with his girlfriend that lived in the house. She suspected that an ex-boyfriend of hers who happened to be involved in Santeria had put some type of curse and she had taken some pictures and blah, blah, blah. So that's why they had called me if I would go. I said, okay, fine, let's see. Let's see what's what. To make a long story short, turned out that it wasn't exactly that. Uh, and um, if you want, turns out this lady, she was very nice, but she had a heroin addiction. Okay. And she had been using, you know, I got to talking to her. She had had very bad um, childhood experience. Her dad had been murdered and basically uh, she was the oldest of four kids. And she had started using drugs 
you know, after that. And then I, sh I want to say maybe when I met her, she was in her early 30s. Basically, she was. And um, coincidentally, okay, the day that we're doing that, all of a sudden she tells us her mom had died. That I was like, you're what? Your mother died? I, I mean, I, I, we like looked at each other, the people that were in the group, thinking, you know, you could have called us and said, look, I don't want to do this, you know, postpone it. And I want to say that I think that whatever, I, I'm not going to say that whatever was there, because basically I, and, and I kind of like did a, a, a thing with her and we talked about what she had attached to her. And um, I think that, that, that it had been making an effort to have us not go there, okay? Because apparently her mom had been ill, but I think that the fact that her mom had died specifically on the day that we were to go, I think that there was some type of manipulation in the background. But oh, I, the day you went, she died. Yes. We, That's crazy. We were there. And then all of a sudden she says, oh, by the way, Somebody, the other girl, the, the, the other lady, the, the, the original team comes up to me and goes, do you know that her mom died today? And I was like, what? Her what died today? And I was like, okay. And then later on when I was talking to her, she kind of said, and I said, look, you know, I'm sorry for your loss. But I was like, okay, but I'm thinking, what are we doing here? Yeah. And I, I talked to her later on and it wasn't like she was having, she had a bad relationship with her mother. You know, it wasn't like, oh, you know, uh, even though she was my mother, no, she apparently, but for some reason, I don't know how. And I want to say, I at that point, I thought, okay, whatever is here that's attached to her, which by the way, it wasn't really the house, the worst attachment she had was to her, um, I think was trying to kind of have us not go yeah. with the death of the mother. And then, um, and then I'm going to, give you a little bit sometimes when people they really need to do research that the house that was next door to theirs they uh it was empty it had the people had moved out and uh they had been renting it out but it was presently empty and uh i kept telling them you know there's something from that that yard that house that's coming over here you've got something going on over here you've got your stuff and later on they told us that a prior owner had dropped out of a heart attack in the house but I don't think he was a real problem. Contrary to what people believe, not just because people die suddenly in a house, that means they're going to haunt. And I was talking to the girl, and then later on, you know, I said, definitely there's something coming over from this other side. Okay? And it wants human interaction. And that's why it comes and it bleeds over into your yard and blah, 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 blah. And later on, we established some other non-human stuff. But anyway, Sean, later on, I started doing research on that property next door. Which, by the way, this was a nice residential area turns out because the people the family that had lived there for many 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 years okay since the 70s i found out that the parent of one of the people that lived there this man had been hung listen to this even he had immigrated from germany and he had been hung here in the united states as a nazi uh. as a sympathizer okay and i was like huh um, and obviously, you know, you, children, you know, you can't say, well, you know, you can't be blamed for what your parents did or believed in politically or what they did. But 
I'm telling you, I, I do believe sometimes that you do have um, some type of spiritual turbulence that follows the family around, starting maybe with one person and then it very subtly just basically tags along with the offspring, even if they're not aware of it. And uh, it was like, when I researched that, I was like, wow, this man was hung. No, I'm, I take it back. What, did he, did he, or did he hang himself? He was being detained here. He was in prison for being a Nazi sympathizer, like Nazi, like pro-Nazi. And uh, I think before he went to trial or something, he hung himself. It was like, it was like very dark. Yeah. You know, and then of course the family moves on. Kids grow up. This was happening well, in the forties. Well, well, you hear people talk all the time about you know residual haunts and intelligent yeah. haunts, and even if uh, his spirit didn't remain, the act yeah. of what he had done, yeah, could have left a residual imprint there. But then a lot of people don't take this into consideration. Sometimes a residual haunt is so dark it invites more darkness. Well, this and man, the, and, and this this is. This thing where the father didn't happen here at that house. I mean, they had lived there. The family had lived there. I lived there, I want to say, for like, I want to say since the 1960s. They had basically the the child of this man, one of them, the father, as a matter of fact, he had moved there and he basically moved into the house when it was like a brand new development, brought up his family, and he died. He, as a matter of fact, he died in the house. And his wife had, I think she had died later on after leaving the house, but... When I started researching the family and going back and back, I found that in another state, and his dad, this had happened in the 40s. Wow. Okay, and you could say, well, you know, how does that figure? And I'm thinking, sometimes stuff like this tags along. It doesn't even have to be the same actual space. It's the influence of whatever was there to begin with. Yeah. And, it's, uh, it's just another form of attachment, yeah. Yes, it is. It it's is. like you, st you step on gum and it sticks to your shoe. Yes, yes. Um, it was also had the tie of it being a blood relative. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this is, and then, and I can tell them this is like the perfect storm. Then they lived next to a, a couple. He's, uh, he was a homeowner and she was like, she would live there with him and stuff like that. Of all the people, the most vulnerable, she's, you know, extreme trauma, childhood, drug use to the point that she was using heroin now. And she pretty much had it under control in the sense of she was, but very, she had, as a matter of fact, she had done jail time and she had been clean for the few years that she had been in jail, which meant she could stay clean. Yeah. But once she got out of uh, prison, um, they have a, a drug called Suboxone, which is what they usually give people that are trying to come off of heroin. And, but it's legal. In other words, she started with that when she got out, which she was legally taking it. And of course, later on, she went right back into doing heroin. And it was like, man, talk about the worst person living next to, it was like, what? <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, it was, it was, it was like one of those things that you think, man, how a lot of these things sometimes are manipulated behind the scenes as far as the most vulnerable person living in areas or places, which is like, man, you shouldn't be here. <laughs> this <laughs> is not the place for you. Yeah. You know, and then throw in the, the death of a parent. And and in the, I mean, we shot audio and video and then you hear dogs barking and we had specifically told them, hey, you know, the adult dogs, you need to like, and she, as a matter of fact, she left and she was gone for like 20 minutes because she took the dogs to like a neighbor or somebody that lived like two or three miles away. And you hear distinctly 
when we're doing some of the work, barking. And by the way, one house was empty on one side. The back of the house was on a lake. And then the other side, they had no dogs. Plus, we're inside a house that was, you know, uh, the AC was on. And you distinctly hear dogs bark and then barking and barking and barking. And we played wow. it back. So that's, yeah, there was there was a lot of weird, funky stuff going on in there. Uh, and, um, I, and, and, I, and I'm going to ask you about this. Contrary to what a lot of people believe, they think that sometimes these um, dark hauntings or infestations, whatever you want to call them, have to be really in your face. And sometimes I think they're a lot more subtle because it's almost like they want to get a good foothold in before somebody realizes what's going on. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And they enjoy it. And they're having a good time. Whatever it is they're doing, they're having a good time. It's just uh, they're comfortable watching, waiting, um, uh, doing their little, you know, doing their thing, just and influencing. It's big yes. with them, the uh, the bad influencing. In other words, it's not you're not going to be doing backward somersaults right off the bat, you know. That's <laughs> <laughs> no. a lot of people think. Yeah, uh, but you know, the, but the flip side of that coin, though. Sometimes, you know, I've worked cases where stuff happens, mm -hmm. boom, 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 fast. Okay. And you're almost, uh, you're overwhelmed at how fast things escalated. That it went so, to, to something really dangerous? Fast, yeah. Like you commented, uh, the little uh, introduction in the book uh, that I have that catches you. And I talk about that case later yes. on in the book. That happened fast to that family, and they we still don't really even know what that whole thing was about. Okay. But they ultimately, um, they ultimately, and I hate telling people they have to move. I actually didn't recommend they do that, but they on their own made the decision to relocate okay. to uh, California to be with family, which turned out to be a really good thing. But yeah. they had, in that short period of time, their ordeal was so horrific. And it was came on like gangbusters. It was just uh, wow. Um, and what what uh, what did did they have any idea what the origin was or what or what, after what was a triggering event? The only thing I can think, and this is just total speculation and my theory. And you know, theories are like you know what everybody's got yes. one. Uh -huh. um, she was Cajun Creole, okay. and many of her family. She's from Louisiana, living here in Vegas, single mother with two, two small sons. Okay. And she had many family members back into the old Southern hoodoo and voodoo and things of that nature. And it, okay. I, it could have been a transgenerational curse attached to them. But, her, you know, her little boy, her youngest boy comes home from school one day, just really frightened out of his wits. And she asked him, you know, what's wrong? He said, this weird, weird little kid came up to him at the park that he plays at for a little while on his way home from school every day. But today, this little, weird little kid came up and wanted to play with him, and nobody, none of the other kids could see the kid. Uh, so he took off and ran home, and the little other little weird kid that nobody else could see chased that kid all the way home. So when he finally ran into the house, you know, how it was you were a kid and you got chased home. You used to, yeah. you can't talk. You got to catch your breath. And your parents think you're dying because you're gasping yeah. for air. You're so scared. You, you're crying. Well, the kid's freaked out. And so the mother thinks at first he's, you know, he's full of it. He's playing the tricks. Right. He's just so emotional. And it was just 
so creepy. She actually thought it, it was a real kid that followed him home. So she went out and looked all around the yard, up and down the street. There was no kid around. And then later that night, about 3 in the morning, and it's always 3 in the morning, uh, she said her son crawled into bed with her. But when he crawled into bed with her, it felt like he had just came in from having swam in the pool. Like he was like just like a, a block of ice had crawled into bed with her. And she, he was spooning with her to her back. But then she got this really bad odor and just sensed there was something odd about that whole situation. So she reached over and turned the light on the nightstand, turned over, and there was no one in bed. So that morning, she finds her little kid making himself some waffles or breakfast cereal or something, getting ready to go to school that day. And she asks him, did you crawl into bed with me in the middle of the night last night? And he said, no, Mommy, that was the little boy. She goes, excuse me? So here's something else I want people out there listening to remember. If a weird little kid that nobody but you can see comes knocking on your back door wanting to get in, don't, don't let him open the, don't let him but know, open the door. He said, Mommy, I came down to get a snack last night. You were asleep, and he was at the back door asking to come in, and I let him in. The mom said, I just, it was like I saw my life flash in front of my eyes. I'm like, you know, this is just. She was in denial. This is too weird. But I mean, almost immediately, in just within a few days, he became, the little kid became very violent, attacked a couple of kids at school. They suspended him. Um, he, uh, what got me over there was we had already spoke once. And then he attacked his older brother. The, the child was only 10 years old. He had like a 13-year-old brother. But he attacked his brother so badly, he almost killed him. She got the older son out of the house and to a neighbor's, but then the little kid uh, barricaded himself in the room, and she didn't know what he barricaded himself in there with, but she couldn't get into the room to help him. But she said, the things that I heard in there and the smells and and whatever was going on in there, you know, uh, you got to come now. So... That was where I came in, and now you got to understand. During this time, I'm just in training to become ordained. And Sharon, like, I only trained. Yeah, Sharon's at home fighting for her life because when the demonic attack that we experienced here in the home, um, long, you know, quite some time prior to that, a couple of years prior to that, left her with three very rare forms of cancer. Wow. A very rare form of tongue cancer throat cancer, and uh, medullary thyroid cancer, which is the worst of the two thyroid cancers. It's the one that's much more severe, and it spreads, and there's no cure for it like regular thyroid cancer. So, I mean, Sharon wasn't, wasn't expected to survive that. She went through 35 straight treatments of radiation and six weeks of chemo, which almost killed her. She couldn't talk for about eight months, had a feeding tube in for over a year, couldn't even swallow water for about four months. It was brutal. Yes. And everybody says, well, how do you know it was a demonic attack? Well, Sharon didn't drink and didn't smoke, was the healthiest person right. on the face of the earth that I knew. No history of cancer in the family. And we had just got rid of whatever that was that was in our house right. for the, about eight weeks. 
and it, it came on like the attack came on like gangbusters after we got this thing out of the house. Like that was right. what he wanted to leave behind. Right. Like and that's said, just yeah. That's but you can't say, hey, the lifestyle, you know, like you said, if maybe there was smoking or something that you could say, well, but yeah. Well, I had a friend that I've known since childhood that was on the East Coast dying of advanced colon cancer, and he was an atheist. Mm -hmm. And he, he called me on his deathbed. I kid you not, called me on his deathbed to say goodbye to me, but he wanted to tell me that he had just seen God and that God told him to tell me that Sharon was going to live and that God. I mean to put up the fight against those responsible for what happened to her so a big light went off there and i mean you know i was other things happened right after that that actually had me leave the field for a while but mm -hmm. so all this on my mind i had you know i went to bed many a night thinking i was going to wake up the next morning next to my wife being dead that's yeah, how God. Uh, but here I am waiting for her to fall asleep, and I'm sneaking out to go work this case. And this is mother telling me on the phone what's been going on. I'm not going over there by myself, which I don't advise either. But yeah. I got there. Um, true story, I knew I was at the right place because there's a woman in flip-flops, um, underwear, a wife-beater T-shirt. And I just call it that because everybody calls it that. Just a right. you know, white tank top that... A lot of uh -huh. women, their blouses, hair all wet like she just got out of the shower, holding a little a little puppy dog. I knew I was in the right place, and she wouldn't go in the house. And that's when she said that thing to me, that, that what's in there isn't my son. You need to go in there and help him. And uh, so then I went in there, and uh, that was uh, – I did not want to go in. I'm telling you, it was the last place I wanted to be on the face of the earth because – there's just so much going on in my life at that time, and I didn't know really what I was up against. But um, uh, I went upstairs. I couldn't get in the room. I pushed and pushed and pushed and pushed. Finally got just enough space of the door to open to look in there, and there's a man, an old man, sitting on his butt with his knees pulled up to his chest on the opposite corner of the room on the floor. And I'm like, that's not even the sun. I'm like, who is that? I'm staring at him. And so I just, bar I th maybe the man's in there doing You're thinking, okay, well, I don't know. If you, yeah, it's like a trap door. I, I get my head through and I look and the, there's a double bunk bed pushed up against the door. I finally managed to get in there far enough to um, get me in there. And I'm not super skinny. But I get into this room, and as soon as I get into the room, the door slams behind me. The bed goes back up against the door. So, well, now I'm in there. I can't get – it's like that old – you know, it's like that scene from uh, Bronx Tale where the, the owner of the bar looks at the bikers and goes, well, now you can't leave. So <laughs> I, just, okay, I, 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 I had just – I had left the field because I had already – had my serious demonic attack. Yeah, you were like, yeah, okay, uh-huh. Yeah. A couple cases prior to that. So I knew what that felt like, and I get hit by the same. This little, this man looks up at me, and if he, if he was, he, had, he looked like he was 100 years old, and I'm just staring at him, he's staring at me, and then I get hit by the same feeling I got hit by when I experienced my demonic attack, which is basically I blacked out. 
And I don't know how long I was blacked out for, but when I came to, I was on my knees in the middle of the bedroom, but I'm outside now. I'm like in the desert. And I'm like, somebody's mugged me (laughs) and drove me out to the desert. And this was all a setup. But there's that old man sitting in the dirt five feet away from me looking down. And so right then I knew there's there's more there's more to this than what's really going on. Okay. And I but I can't move. I'm like a sack of potatoes. I'm so frightened. I you know I'm starting to think you know have you been drugged to hell? Because I thought I was getting drugged to hell during that first attack. Right. Did did they did they accomplish what they set out to do? Am I there now? And then a shadow comes over me right to left across the ground in front of me. And I feel a presence to my right, and I look over. And it's like when you see things, like I said earlier in the interview, that you're, you can't wrap your mind around. Mm-hmm. I'm staring at this image, and I can't wrap my mind around. I know exactly what I'm looking at, but I can't wrap my mind around the fact that I'm looking at Jesus Christ on the cross. And I, I, I'm getting a shiver up my back right now when you just said that. I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. I I know that's what I'm looking at, and so I'm assuming. Okay, well, I may be in hell, but I need to get over to that cross because that's my salvation. Now you have to understand, Jesus didn't look like Jesus like we. Right. It just looked like a mutilated slab of meat, basically hanging on a tree. And I walk over there, I crawled actually over there, and I touched to make sure the cross was solid, and it was. Mm-hmm. And I stand up, I use the cross to help me up, and I have to actually get on my tippy toes. And I'll never forget noticing that the feet were left over right. Okay. And to this day, whenever I look at a crucifix, I always look at the feet. You know, sometimes they're right over left or they're mm-hmm. side by side. And I always look now to see if they're left over right, and I buy those. I don't care where I'm at. Yeah, there you go. But uh, it was left over right, and I actually kissed his left foot. And I can still remember the taste of all the blood and dried blood and dirt and mud on his foot. As soon as I kissed his foot, I had a flashback of a time when I was probably 10 years old. And I was being chased home by three bullies that I was convinced were going to beat me to death. And I don't know how long I ran, and my father worked at the time, he would be gone before I woke up, and he would arrive home long after I went to bed. That's how far of a drive he had to get to work. But on this particular day, when these guys had just about caught me, and I'm running across this road, a car comes screeching to a halt, honking at me, and it's my dad. On this one day, he comes home. And I just collapse in front of the car. He gets out of the car. He sees these three kids. It would be uh, inappropriate for me to tell you what my dad did to these three kids. I'm glad. But you know, whatever it was, I'm glad because, yeah. That that feeling of you thought you were about to get beaten to death and the one true hero in your life, yeah. which he'll always be, um, shows up. That's the exact feeling I had and flashback I had when I kissed Jesus' foot. And I knew that I didn't have a thing to worry about. And I can't tell you how I knew what to do, but I knew to spin around and walk over to that old man 
And I got down on my knees in front of this old man, and I just started pouring water on his head, wiping my fingers full of holy oil and holy water, wiping it across his head. I must have said the Our Father 50 times, maybe 20 Hail Marys. But now I can see beyond him, and it's a dirt path going down. And at the bottom of the dirt path are three, maybe four hooded figures, and I can't tell if they're male or female, or even see faces. And then there's several black dogs running around there. And there's another case I worked that I talk about in the book with one of those dogs. And I see them down there, and I know that that's hell. And I know this is the the little boy, and that's his next. If I can't get him from this spot, that's where he's going. And I just kept doing what I was doing. And the next thing I know, I kind of blacked out again, I assume, because I raised my head and opened my eyes, and now it's actually a little boy sitting in front of me, and we're back in the bedroom. We're not in the desert anymore. So basically, what you had been, when you looked in, and what looked like an old man was really the kid. I didn't know that. Right, right, right. You were like thinking, okay, how'd this old guy get in here? Yeah. So the kid's looking at me and I'm looking at him and we don't say a word, but we both know something miraculous has just happened. And we just hug each other and start crying. And I help him up to his feet and we get over to the bedroom door. Now it's easy to move the bunk bed out of the way with one hand. And I open the door and we walk right out of the bedroom, go downstairs and his mother's in the living room waiting for us. And she's got the same look on her face like she knows something miraculous happened. The son runs to his mother, they hug. We all sit down at the living room table and the only thing I can think to say is is anybody hungry how about a pizza well let's order a pizza and I picked up the phone and I ordered pizza to brand new Papa John's and just give them a plug that just opened up down the street we waited for pizza to show up and we ate we never spoke one word about what had happened we ate um, I went home I got home Sharon was uh, sound asleep with my two circus bears on either side of her protecting her. And uh, the next call I got from the mother was that she took both her kids out of school, okay. uh, told the landlord they were leaving, breaking the lease, they didn't care, and they were moving to L.A. to be with family. Okay. And I just thought that's a wonderful thing to do. And we still occasionally touch base, and they're all doing great. I love it. That's great. That's fantastic. She, Yeah, she – and. You know what? It's really weird because that thing of what you mentioned that he saw, I mean, that the kid had followed him, but that actually almost like he, whatever that was, had to be allowed or invited into the house. And it's almost like maybe it targeted him because a child doesn't know any better of, you know, maybe if it would have been the mother, it would have been like, who's this kid out there? I'm not going to open the door. You know, it's one of those things yeah. like, um, because I have heard when you know that you talked earlier about you know there's there's a lot of um, a lot of this dark magic where they will send a dark spirit to you, but and they'll say oh if you hear like three knocks on the door, don't open the door. It's like, in other words, especially if it's a moment where like exactly like that you're not expecting. Company. You know it's, that is that I'm telling you anybody out there listening that happens. Sharon has been standing right at our front door. Mm-hmm. And there's little lattice windows in our front door. And I'm t- two feet away at the kitchen table, and we will hear the three knocks on the door. We just really assume it's a kid yeah. up there, the, you know, selling something or one of our neighbors needs something. And Sharon will 
right standing right there will look out the door and look back at me and whisper, there's nobody there. And I just look at her and go, get a move, get over here and sit down, get away from yeah. the door. From the Don't door. open it. Don't open it. Yes. Um, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it happens all the time. And sometimes yes. I get home from work and I go to reach the, at the front door and it feels like, it really feels like something has bit my right hand. I look down, sure enough, I have these three little scratches. Yes. They can't get in, but they're mad that I'm going to go. Yes, in. yes. They're right there. They just claw my little hand right there, and I walk in, and I don't say nothing to Sharon. We're eating dinner together, and she goes, hey, what happened to your hand? She goes, oh, did that happen when you are trying to get in again? Because she's been with me. And uh-huh. we've been home, come home from a restaurant or a movie or took a drive somewhere, and I go to reach for the front door, and I pull my hand back and look at it, and you don't see nothing at first. She goes, what are you doing? I go, I don't know. I just thought I felt something weird. Sure enough, a few minutes later in the kitchen, she'll go, look at your hand. And they'll, right on the top of the hand, there'll be three scrapes across there. But I know they can't get in because I'm constantly blessing and sealing my home. But they're out there mad. Yes. And they want and, you to and know people, that they're watching. People don't understand, though, Sean. You know, because people, we think of it in human terms as an in, in invitation. You have, you know, we think of it like as, Somebody sends out an invitation, you have to be, say basically, yeah, send out the invitation. Like, hey, you're invited. But sometimes the act of opening the door after somebody knocks, yeah. they yeah. will take it as the invitation. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. You don't have to actually say, come on in. It's like, oh, we knocked, you opened, you are inviting us in. And it's kind of like sneaky, but of course, what did you expect? Yeah. Uh, yes, I've heard of that. That. Uh, that a lot of times they, when people they, are trying to make it sounds like else. they crash through your roof into your attic and you open up your attic door to peek in there and they couldn't have gotten into the house but they did once you opened up the attic door yes. to look up there at what that yes. noise was yes. they're sneaky yes 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 it yes. happens like that so with they people try to out trick there, you into your it. home yeah bless everything get up in the attic get that you yes. know, get your holy incenses smoke up there in the attic and your holy water all over the attic, basements, yes. um, everywhere, cabinets, yes. closets, all the bathrooms. Yeah, get that your stuff cupboards everywhere. and everything, yes. Yeah. People don't realize that. Uh, and that, yeah, you – and sometimes yeah, – and I'm glad you pointed out because, yeah, you know, sometimes you hear the story that people, they, they they start doing stupid stuff, they start playing with the Ouija board, or they start just being at the wrong place at the wrong time. Like, they kind of stumble into it, or they do stupid stuff and they invite it. But sometimes things happen or follow you that kind of you're innocent in the sense of you just become a target for some reason. They see some vulnerability either in you or your family unit. And they, they, they can't come right in, but they try to trick their way into getting a foothold inside the, the household. You know, and then that's when you start getting the weird little phenomena. And, uh, you know, then you hear, you're here. Well, in this case that you just described, man, that went from zero to 60 in a very short time. Yeah, they really did. And my dogs, what I love about them, too, is I have other spirits of dogs here that we've owned mm-hmm. that lived with us for many years here. And then we had to, you know, they, they passed on. We had to put right. them down. They got sick or whatever. And we we hear them come in and out of the doggy door all the time. And people will say to me, well, probably the wind did it. But like Sharon, we had one Mastiff that used to like to sneak into the bathroom when she's doing her makeup and stick his nose right in her butt and startle her. And I hear her all the time in the bathroom make that little cry out. 
And then later on, I'll go, was that Henry in there sticking his nose in your butt again? She goes, yeah, he popped in there again. Yeah. But my dogs will see things running around. Their tails will wag. Their heads will follow it. They'll play. But sometimes they come running in from the backyard through the doggy door like they are on fire. And as soon yes, as they yes. launch through the doggy door, they spin right back around and they stand there and they stare at the doggy door like uh-huh. the next thing that comes through that is getting his head ripped right, off. Right, like this and is... they won't move uh-huh. and they've got the they got the mohawk hair down the back and yes. and they're just staring right at the doggy door and I know something out there messed with them because they're in the yard. I hear all the time what sounds like a, and I have outdoor cats, so it's always Mm -hmm. alarming to me. It sounds like a feral cat being ripped apart by wild dogs. Nobody can hear it but me. And at first I used to think I was going crazy. I could walk out there and in the dark, I'm looking 10 feet away into some bushes. Okay. And I'm hearing it. I turn on the flashlight. There's nothing there, but I'm hearing that. And I always have to go out and check because what if it's one of my cats? Right, right. No, I know what you're you're thinking of. Yeah. They're usually in the front yard, sound asleep in their carriers. And I I check on that too. But, you know, it's just uh, uh, that's that's an alarming thing to to hear in the middle of the night because you just never hear and you got to go check. Of you course. have to go of check. Course. When you have <laughs> animals, you know. But it's really funny, though. When you have animals, depending, of course, what kind of animals, you know what's the normal noises that they make. You know, you know the... Uh, and almost when you, you would like... Well, and that is a very disturbing noise, by the way, what you're describing. Um, what was it, God? I read somewhere about that haunting that had that type of... that exactly what you're describing sean i just can't remember what the details are to remember reading i was like man that that's pretty scary i also I feel very guilty because sometimes we have workers come over here to do stuff <laughs> you're not going to get anybody over here if you tell them listen i just want to warn you ahead of time I, no, I live in a little bit of a weird house don't be weird don't get weirded out on me i'm here yeah. i'll help you any way i can but if anything weird happens because they'll go what do you mean I even have to take the magnets off my van that are in my driveway because they'll come up and see the, they'll go, dude, what's that mean on your van? Ghost be gone. And I have to explain. They'll go, listen, um, I'm going to call my supervisor and uh, I got something else, another appointment I'm late for. They'll come and they won't come in and work. And I had recently had to, workers had incidents here and I feel bad afterwards that I wasn't honest with them. But if I say something ahead of time, And then, and then you think, okay, what's real? What's their imagination? Because they're already predisposed that if you told them something that they're going to be like, and it, maybe it wasn't anything. Well, I was what honest happens? with one guy once, and here he is giving me a speech in my kitchen about ghosts don't exist, and you're just oh. ripping people off doing that. I go, well, I don't even charge for my ministry work. He goes, but you get donations, I'm sure, after you help on cases and stuff. And, you know, maybe you'll write a book and get famous one day or, uh-huh. you know, get on a TV show. But it's all a, such a joke. And as he's saying that, all of a sudden, he just stops talking. And he gives me this weird look, and he looks down at his arm. And his arm looks like all of a sudden chicken skin, and the hairs are all up on end. And he's like pale, and he looks back at me again, and he says, "You know what? I don't really, I don't feel very good." And he waits a few more seconds. He goes, "You know what? I'm going to go outside and get a breath of fresh air." Now he's been in and out of that front door twenty times, getting tools, getting materials. 
the doorknob is unlocked and the deadbolt's off. He goes to the front door and the door will not open for him. He starts to really panic. And I finally yell out, I go, everybody, this is a good guy. You're scaring him to death. Let him get outside and do what he's got to do. He turns the doorknob, it opens up. He went to his truck. I heard the truck start up. I was going to say, he left? He did. I knew it. I knew it. (laughs) I had to finish the work by myself. And then I have a plumber outside doing some sprinkler work. And there's oleander bushes all around him. And I'm out there with him the whole time because my pool is empty. And I got thrown in my pool one time by something back there. And that hurt. And I didn't want the same thing to happen to him. I didn't want to tell him. But I'm standing behind him, so if he gets thrown, he's going to get hit me first. But he's got to be back there and fix this. i got a flood in my backyard. Sprinkler broke. A pipe broke underneath. You know, we had to dig it up and find it and replace it. Right. So he's working, and all of a sudden he just stops. And he looks over to his left, and he's staring right into these bushes. And he's just staring and staring. I don't say anything. Like, dude, what's wrong? He's just staring into the bushes, and then all of a sudden, he slowly stands up, and he continues to stare into the bushes, and then he all of a sudden backs up two steps real quick and continues to stare into the bushes, and then his head follows something to the left. He looks to the left, and then he whips it back to me and looks at me, and I don't say a word. I'm just looking down at the ground, and he goes, dude. I go, what? Because did you hear that? I go, no. What are you talking about? I did. I really didn't hear anything. Right, right. He goes, there's somebody standing right in that bush talking to me. Oh, my God. About, come on, dude. There's, there's nobody out there. Goes, dude, there's somebody standing in that bush talking to me. And then he walked off. And I watched and I watched it. What I heard, hearing where he walked off, I watched him. Watched that walk through the bush. You didn't hear that. I go, no. I go, dude, the acoustics in this neighborhood are, are weird, and it's probably my neighbor on the other side of the wall or out in the front yeah, yard. Yeah, just bump, bump, but don't leave. <laughs> Whatever you do, don't leave. Instantly opens the gate, looks out in the front yard, instantly jumps up on his ladder and looks over my neighbor's wall and goes, dude, there's nobody around here. You didn't hear that. I go, I really didn't, but, it, you know, we're so close to getting done, man. <laughs> Come down. I can work. I'm here with you. I'll hold you So down. then I, what I felt really bad about was he finally, I, I forgot one sign on my car. And it was on the back because I went and grabbed the two off the sides. Okay. I forgot I had a sign on the back of the van. Uh-huh. And he's out there washing his hands right at the back of the van. And he, I see him looking at the back of my van. And I walk outside. And he, and he the wheels are going <laughs> round and round thinking, oh, God. I walk outside, I don't say anything, and he just stands up, turns the water off, and he just stands there and stares at me for about a minute. I'm looking at him. I'm like, you okay? He goes, dude, why'd you do that to me? I go, what I do? <laughs> he points to the back of my car and goes, you're a freaking Ghostbuster. Yeah, and he's like, thanks. I, I forgot I even had a Ghostbuster And you know what? He probably thought you were probably lying that you hadn't heard anything. He was probably thinking, yeah, he did, and he's just not, you know... I, I gave him a hug and said, listen, man, I gave him an extra big tip, too. I said, thank you for not running off, dude. Yeah, I live in a haunted home. Um, but I couldn't tell you that ahead of time because you wouldn't, you would, would you have stayed? He said, hell no. 
So, you know, I am the we we are the weird old people in the neighborhood that everybody knows we live in a weird well, home. So no one is this is trick like or that, treat. That. You get the people that don't believe, but just in case, I'm not gonna work <laughs> on Halloween. I'll tell you, we uh, the it's funny. We have to put our dogs in two cages and lock them in there because they always want to eat strangers. But Sharon stands by the door and waits to see the kids coming up. And we'll open the door ahead of time, not to startle them, but to meet them out on the little right outside the front door with the big, huge tray of candy. We don't know why we do that because it just saves them ringing the doorbell or knocking. Right. It's really the dogs through the roof. But they don't need the kids don't even they Everybody knows who we are and about the house. And it's always the parents. The kids <laughs> are down the sidewalk with their bags. And the parents are out the door getting the candy from That's us. That's so funny. And, uh, and sometimes the parents won't even come up. We'll watch. And they'll get to the driveway. There's a little family discussion down there. And then the whole group moves on. <laughs> to the next house. Yeah, it's like, I'm surprised. You haven't had anybody from the neighborhood, Sean, come over and ask for help? For anything that's happening? The, the whole neighborhood's on it, yeah. I was about to say, is it one of those yeah. areas that... During a time where I was getting a lot of what I refer to as paranormal drive-bys at my house, my neighbor's house to the left caught on fire. And I don't want to believe it was connected to what was happening in my home, but I felt guilty about that. And then we've had deaths in the two homes and directly across the street from us okay. and a death in the home two over from the house to the right, but the people in the right were experiencing stuff because what happened in that home like you said earlier, transferred over to that property. So we've we've had neighbors come and ask us for help with things, yeah. and um, it's just one of those neighborhoods. Yeah. And we didn't know that when we moved in. Oh, no. uh, we get accused all the time of we brought it. Uh, even at our work, both of our workplaces are haunted, and I, we Sharon and I get accused of having brought those ghosts to the workplace all the time. And maybe we did, maybe we didn't. We always say, you know, can't say we did or we didn't, but... Sometimes uh, people have no idea. The Sometimes even the developers, even the people that originally bought the land and developed it, sometimes they themselves, it's not that they're being untruthful, sometimes they themselves don't know the history of what's been on there. Especially if whatever happened was maybe before the town actually became incorporated. You know, where nowadays you do everything, it's got to be recorded in the town hall or whatever, city hall. Yeah. Sometimes things, and then people forget and... By the time somebody actually takes the land over to develop it, nobody remembers or knows. Maybe that a small cemetery or stuff happened out there. Who knows? Who knows? I thought I thought it was a law that like real estate developers or like a real estate agent had to let a family know that the home that I'm about to show you is rumored to be haunted. I thought they had to divulge that, but like here in Vegas, they don't have to. I know that so they've I... got different rules. I think for different states, and some of them you have to volunteer. Other times you have to if the person asks. Uh, well, here they don't have to say anything, and okay. I've had real estate agents reach out to me and say, listen, I'm trying to sell this home. It's going to really make me a lot of money, but every time I bring someone in there, mm -hmm. some weird things happen and scare the buyers off. Can you look into it for me? Yeah. I go, do you have to divulge that to the clients? They go, well, one, I don't have to because things happen that just scare them off. But yes. two, no, it's not a law here. We don't have to say anything. So I'm like, well, that's kind of unfair. Yeah, it's it's it and in and in some states it's not the haunting, but if there's been like a murder or like a crime, like a not you know not a violent crime, not in the sense of, but if there's a death, 
as in a murder, yes, they have to disclose. It's really weird. Each state has their own rules. Um, and in some, it's only if they're asked, and some you don't have to, and in some you absolutely have to. But in, now that you mentioned that thing about not selling, many years ago, um, I had a, I, I worked with a girl. She was in her 20s. I was in my 20s. And she's telling me the story how she was engaged to get married, and her and her fiancé had bought a townhouse. Brand new, by the way. Brand new townhouse. But they break up. They don't go through with a marriage. She stays in the townhouse. She says it was a little two-story townhouse. And uh, one day she's she was someplace with a couple of her friends, and she they ran across these, this guy who was a Santeria priest. And apparently oh. that day they were having like it was a big uh, celebration of some type of it was like a, a a special significant date. So he invites her and her friends. She says she had never practiced it. I mean, so her and her friends they go on a goof. Oh, you want to go? Yeah, let's go. Let's see what happens. Right. So yeah. they go there. Um, they hang out. They watch everything. They haven't been there. Oh, okay. But then after a while, they're like, okay, it was like on a weekend. We want to keep going. So she, they go to him and they say, look, you know, we're, we're going to leave. And he's like, oh, don't leave. Because apparently he was the the one that was having this thing, this shindig. So he really couldn't pay that much attention to her. And he's like, no, 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 give me a chance. Don't leave, don't leave. She says, and then a couple of times later, you know, he kind of told them. And at the end, they were like, man, we want to leave. Like, okay, we've been here a while. We checked everything out. We're ready to leave. Like, this is not, you know, we're, our curiosity has been sated. Thanks. Yeah. So she says it's the last time that she tells him, hey, I'm leaving. I just, and he got really mad. He got upset. But she says, I'm leaving. I'm, they left. And she says that at that time, she lived alone when she had a dog uh, in the house. And she says that her dog all of a sudden would sit at the bottom of the stairs and start barking and barking and barking and barking. Anyway, um, to make a long story short, she says that after, um, you know, she went, it, it progressively got worse to where she realized that he had sent a spirit after her. And she says that at the beginning, she would be like, what's wrong with the dog? And she would like put him outside and... But he would not go upstairs. He had never had a problem going upstairs to the bedroom with her. And then he started refusing and would just sit at the bottom of the stairs and bark. To the point that she was going crazy. And then she says that, first she says she would get a feeling like, let's say she was doing the dishes downstairs and she would feel like she's being watched. But she's alone. She would turn around, there's nobody there. And she says that then, or that she would be falling asleep and she would hear like um, somebody whispering to her, like in... You know, like, you know, like when you're falling asleep that you kind of hear something going on and, but she couldn't make out what it was. And the first couple of times that it happened, she thought that it was, I'm kind of dreaming, but then it started happening more and more often. And this, it progressed. And she says that that feeling of getting watched started getting worse. And then she started having some nightmares. And she says a couple of times she felt like, you know, when somebody um, sits down on your bed, you know, like you feel the the pressure on the mattress. Yeah. And she started even thinking, she, she says also that feeling of being watched got more and more often. She says, Marlene, I, I was, I was thought, I was thinking I'm losing my mind. She wasn't thinking paranormal. She wasn't thinking ghost. She was thinking I'm losing my mind. She says it got to the point where that feeling of being watched, it was happening to her even when she was outside of the house. Okay. Wow. And that's what she says that she's, I was afraid to tell my mom and my sister, they're going to look at me and go, what's wrong? You know, like, what's wrong with you? Again, yeah. she's still not thinking 
ghost, paranormal, nothing like that. She says that one night she is in bed again and she feels again the pressure of somebody lying down next to her. And she says that she reached like, like basically like what you described that lady, somebody like behind her. And she says she reached out with her hand and she touched somebody in the bed with her. She says that she got up, grabbed her, you know, some clothes, her dog and went to her sister. Her sister was married and slept on the floor next to her sister, um, you know, on her sister's side of the bed with a light on. And finally, you that's when funny? She, go ahead. People, la people are listening to you and laughing, and I even have a big smile on my face. But you know what? People don't understand how frightening it is yes. to have a paranormal experience, yes. even just like that. It may seem minor to you because yes. it didn't happen to you, but it's frightening. And she, it was worth her to get up in the middle of the night, grab her dog, and go to her married sister's home in the middle of the night. Right. And sleep on her floor. On the floor. She made her put the light on. Yeah. She made her put. Now, <laughs> and what's really funny now, and this is the thing, when you mentioned, she says that <clears throat> she had put the house up for sale, the townhouse. It was a brand new townhouse. She had been planning to sell it anyway. It wasn't because of that. It was like after the breakup, she had just decided I'm going to sell it because, you know, she was just wanted to, she was going to sell it. She says that she couldn't sell it. She just couldn't sell it. She would have people that would come by or people, you know, stuff would just fall through the she just couldn't Spirits, sell it. They sell make it. it. They, they yes. make it so it won't sell. So they do, at the I end, don't know how they do that. They do it. She's So finally, of course, she fesses up. She tells her sister. She tells her mom, blah, blah, blah. This has been happening. All these months have gone by. And this has just been getting worse and worse. And so I think it was, I don't know if it was a friend of her mom's or a friend of her sister's. A friend of a friend. One of those. Somebody there was a spiritualist. Okay. And they said, have her come over. We're going to have a mass. And you know that spiritualists, what they do is they'll channel. And basically they did like a, 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 you know, a mass and one of them channeled. And basically what it was, was a man. It was a spirit of a man that later on, it turns out that that guy that Santero had sent to her because he was mad at her that she had left. Apparently he was romantically interested, even though he had just met her. But, and he says, he didn't realize that he was dead. And he says, I don't, I just want to be with her. I'm not going to hurt her. I want to be with her. And you know, they were like, but you're dead. He didn't understand that he was dead. And by the way, she was a very pretty girl. She was real pretty. She had long hair in her 20s. He wanted to be with her. He couldn't understand, you know. So basically, they kind of clarified it for him, like, you're dead. Yeah. You know, you're earthbound. And they, they moved him on. And then, and then the, the you know, she says, you know, you know, pray and everything. She says that, like, within a couple of weeks, Sean, the household once that yeah. got done okay yeah. and she hadn't changed the price she hadn't changed real estate agents she hadn't done any of that and for all these months that she had been going through this thing that house had not sold a townhouse which by the way it was brand new it was a brand new townhouse that had been built in a new development once that was done that town and people could think well how could this uh, spiritual spirit, whatever influence the sale of a house, it, but it could. Well, it, you know, you hear the old saying "When in Rome," and you hear a lot of uh, paranormal teams will advise clients, "Don't, you know, don't make a bargain with anything." You know, they need to go. Yes. Sometimes you got to do what you got to do, and this one 
real estate friend of mine couldn't get this very this mansion to sell mm -hmm. and I said listen you're gonna finally have to go in there and sit it was the female matriarch of the family that lived most of her adult life in there and died in the home and she okay. didn't want to let this home go mm -hmm. I said you're gonna have to go in there and sit down with her as though she's sitting at the table with you and have a one-on-one -on -one discussion with her and tell her listen if you don't find something you like about somebody that I bring in here they're going to bulldoze this home down yeah. and make it a parking lot. And who knows what will happen to you then. But I, I, I on, my, on my side of the bargain, I will do my best to try and find someone in here yeah. that knows that you're here and are okay with it if you're okay with them. And then you just cohabitate and don't scare them or don't make life miserable for them. Sure enough, the next really nice couple that he was honest with, he brought in there. She, uh, she, she didn't act up at all. And in fact, she visited him, the real estate agent, later and let him know that I accept these people. Right. And I'm good, I'm good with these. I'm good with them. I'm good with it. And they had no problem. The house sold. Yeah, yeah. And people don't think, well, how could that happen? How can they affect the sale of a house, you know, and, and you've heard, I'm sure you've heard of people that will go to houses that when they have great curb appeal, you know, and then when they walk in, it's just something about the place that they're like, ah, no, I'm out of here. <laughs> Cause they get on you. The spirit, yeah. he gets, he puts his funk on you and makes you just yes. feel ill. And yes. like, I can't be in this home. It, it might even just be that, that minor of a thing just to, just to, invade your bubble and just yes. settle in on you and you just like this i am just this place i can't put my finger on but this place creeps me out no one's gonna buy a home like that no no but the the flip side of it is let's just play devil's advocate i have heard of a lot of stories of people that have when they were telling the stories you know that they ended up in a haunted in a haunting situation and they'll, they'll describe that when they went to see this property they fell in love with it. They thought, oh my God, I really love this place. It's almost like it enticed them. Yeah. You know, and everything is wonderful and cozy. And then all of a sudden it just got really dark. And it was like that the yeah. flip side of that. It wanted to bring them in. It's, and they and usually you'll see this a lot with uh, properties that have been vacant for a while. Uh, it's almost like they want the human in there or humans in there. And you know, and it's funny you say that. I know situations where there were several human spirits in a home mm -hmm. and they were kind of being held there yes. captive by a darker entity. Yes. The humans wanted more humans in there mm -hmm. and maybe thought that that would help yes. them yes. and push this other thing out. And that other thing just kind of waited, lying waiting. And when the family moved in, now it was that thing that was tormenting them, but not yes. the human spirits. Yes, yes. Yes, it's 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 kind of weird sometimes that you know there's almost like a pecking order even in the spiritual side, yeah. Where uh, yeah, because think about it. If you think about it, Sean, if if, if you have a non-human entity, not only are you tormenting the living, can you imagine if you're holding back a human soul from being in the presence of the divine? You've got it trapped here, earthbound. Talk about like man, you're really get, you're really doing a good job. You're yeah. you're 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 messing with the living and you've got these human souls trapped where they're outside the presence of, of being with God, of moving to be where you should be. And it's like, I, hey, I've got everything under control here. That 
yeah, that they do do that. Yeah. They do. They do. do that. It's, yeah. it's, I hate to say amazing, but I can't, you know, I don't know how they're able to do that. And it's, you know, we're going to know all the answers one day, but yeah. I, I'm still learning and I'll be learning until the day I die. And I still see things that amaze me that make my draw, my jaw drop every day. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, and, that, and one of the things I, I, um, and that we talked about it was that sometimes I'm not, I want to use the word romanticized because in Hollywood land, sometimes they make it feel like it's desirable to be involved. Like in one of these, if it's a haunting, it's gotta be a demonic haunting. And I think sometimes people don't realize just how dark and devastating that could be. You wish you. you ever, if you ever run into a severely, uh, you enter in a, a demonically infested home or you're in the presence of somebody that's really oppressed or a family that's been mm -hmm. tormented by the demonic, you, you, you wish it was just a ghost. Right. Exactly. You wish it was a hundred ghosts, just yes, yes. a bunch of aunt bees and, and uncle Tom's that are hanging around yes. watching over the home and the family. Or, you wish it was a hundred of those. Or even if it was the old owner of the house, it was a cranky old man, you know, that just doesn't want to like, doesn't want anybody living there. It's like, okay, well, you know, just that's, that's different. Yeah. Just don't go into the attic because uncle Tom's up there. You'll smell the smoke. And yeah. if you go up there, he's going to throw something at you. But as yeah. long as you stay out of the attic, you'll wish it was a hundred of those. Yes. Than one demonic entity. Yes. Encounter. Because it's just uh, so much. It, it's, it, it's off the charts. Let me ask you something, Sean. And, and, and I want you to touch on this because we've been around, you know, you and me are comparable in age and we've, I think we've both seen the progression and that's why I wanted to touch base on it where like, like you said, back in the seventies when the exorcist came out that everybody just totally wigged out, you know, whether you were religious or not, everybody was like, ah, the devil. But nowadays there's so many shows. And by this, I'm not prudish. I'm not one of these people like that. But I think there's so many shows that are too dark and very subtly dark where they kind of draw teenagers or people that are just not discerning into thinking that either dabbling in Satanism or dark magic or whatever, it's kind of like, wow, cool. And I, sometimes it, I'm thinking, God, this is, I want to use the word dangerous. I mean, I don't want to be overdramatic, but it's dangerous. Well, as dark as some of those shows are, you're right. To some people, it romanticizes it in some weird, bizarre way. And so yes. it doesn't make them dangerous. Yes, yes. And I think that by the time they realize that this is not what they saw on the show and they want to backpedal on it, uh, it's, I don't want to say it's too late, but in a way, yeah, then that's, I guess, when you get a call. <laughs> like, help. I wake up. I'm, I wake up every morning. Well, I say prayers every night before I go to bed, but among the prayers that I say when I wake up in the morning, one is that I never have to work another demonic case as long as I live. Yes. And if that was the case, then at least I know um, they're, on, <laughs> they're on the down low. Uh, and um, or Or somebody... Uh, much more, um, much better than me, and much more knowledgeable than me is is uh, those cases are going to them instead, right. and um, yeah, they are. Yeah. And, and we talked about it briefly. You know, I don't, I don't want to, you know, for you to give away everything in your book. But we talked about 
you know, you know, you talk about people that get, you know, oppressed, obsessed, or possession, but or the perfect possession, which is the person willingly uh, is allowed allows, and sometimes they could go, they they do horrible things, and they act normal. They they don't do all those things that people think of as the possessed person, yeah. and they just wreak havoc. Whether they kill people, um, they do so many sadistic things because they're perfectly possessed, but they've learned enough to kind of act normal. Or sometimes I want to say, sometimes they purposely uh, get a prestigious uh, either position or something so that they're never oh. suspected um, when something, when they've done something horrible. Absolutely. You know, Absolutely. There's, there, are, uh, there are a bunch yeah. of those running around. Yeah, so there's a, you're right. It's it's a legion. It's it's its own army. It's they've got their own rank, different ranks, and they're assigned different territories, and um, there's different levels of them, and they're all in cahoots together. I mean, I, I one of the reasons why I wrote the book was because I worked after Sharon had her had her attack, and while I was mm -hmm. fighting that, it was like the next nine cases in a row. Okay. Here I go 40 years without one demonic case, and now not only is my wife fighting for her life as a result of a demonic attack, but now I'm that's the all these cases are being thrown at me. But looking back, I realized that there was a, a, a span of time there where all these cases, eight or nine of them in a row, all of the people either knew, all of the clients either knew each other either professionally really? Or personally, and I was the one being brought in on every case, and it ultimately came full circle back to the original client that started it all, who's now dying of cancer. How but I believe my theory was that they ran in a pack, and it was mm -hmm. all ultimately already in the cards that it was meant to happen for me to work all of these, okay. leading to. Uh, my uh, my first severe attack, which I actually left the field. I was done. I told God, I'm not, you know, uh, if you created me to do this, I, I beg your forgiveness, but I can't handle it. I'm done. I'm, I'm done. And it took a pastor friend of mine to call me about a year later and say, I've got this case that you absolutely have to help me on. And I'm like, no, nope, I'm sorry. I love you, but yeah. I'm not doing it. And she begged and begged and begged. But it was out in that case that I had a vision of the Holy Spirit, okay. um, and that let me know that um, I didn't tell her at the time, but she was driving home from the case on the freeway, and when I told her what I had seen while we were there, she actually had to pull over on the side of the freeway and was dancing around her car. She's like, here I am, a pastor for 20 years, and I've prayed to have a vision of the Holy Spirit once in my life, and here you get it. On this yeah, the the, the, case. <laughs> the person that I had to drag into this. Yeah, so, uh, but it, that was a clear sign to me that uh, they had my back, yeah. and I didn't have to worry about it. And then the very next case was the one with that kid, okay. and the and the single mother. So just when you think it's, uh, you know, you're in that quicksand. Uh, and you're going to die, um, and there's no one out there to, to save you, God will always reach an olive branch out to you, something for you to reach up and grab a hold of and pull yourself 
Yes. He'll if you just grab a hold of the branch, he'll pull you out of the quicksand. But you have to wholeheartedly in your heart and your soul and your whole entity and essence have to totally submit and 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 ask for forgiveness and give yourself over to God in those situations and he'll save you. But if you don't, you know, even if you don't believe in God and believe in the devil and all that, you find yourself in that situation. I'm telling you, you better believe in something real quick because the alternative yeah, is well, uh, it's that, not it's what that you moment want. of perfect trust. Okay, yeah. where you are going to have to trust uh, with no guarantees. In other words, because you know, let's face it, as human beings, we always want the guaranteed outcome. <laughs> yeah. No, no guarantees. You're going to have to imperfect trust. And I think that's really where um, where things happen that maybe before, you know, you know, that, that, that whatever that changes in our spirit or our mind, our emotions that make things happen as far as, like I said, the right person comes to you, the help you need, somebody reaches out to you, the right person that they need to help them out of that situation. Well, for all the people out there that are listening that have gone through this, I want you to also remember something else. We're, you're, not, you're still not alone, and many people like me in this field, we know that it's not over for you, that we're going to go through what we call PTDD, post-traumatic demonic disorder, mm -hmm. for the rest of your life. So don't shut off. And um, you got to keep the lines of communication open with whether it's the person that came to help you or other people that you've brought into your life that uh, helped you or people that you've, you know, you, now you've, you're, maybe you're going to confession every Saturday and right, mass. Exactly. You've been home communion every Sunday and you've met people in that church group. Whoever these new people are, you got to keep them in your lives yes. and keep them close to you in. And, you know, if you're having issues, you've got to talk about it and continue to open up. Almost no like group gonna, therapy, you know, yeah. Yeah, no one's going to laugh at you. And if somebody does laugh at you because you say, well, guess what? It's funny you bring that up. I was possessed once and had to have an exorcism done on me. If anybody laughs at you, then you just take names and cross them off your Christmas gift list and move on because they're not the people you want in your life. The people you want in your life are the ones that are going to go, for real? I mean, you're not just kidding me, for real? And give you a big hug and a kiss and say, do you want to talk about it? Yeah. And share your story with these people because they need to know what happened yes. and how you were delivered from that and how they can prevent it from happening to them. Your story is just as important as me telling the story. Yeah, and, and, uh, and I'm going to give a perfect example. Like last week... My youngest son, he participated in a in the Catholic Church a retreat that they have for just men. It's called Emus, and um, basically it's like a weekend retreat. And um, his dad has participated. Even his grandfather has participated. You know, worked with that group for many many years. And uh, let me tell you something. Those people talk about it, it. In other words, once you make that connection with, let's say that group setting first of all there's a, a non-disclosure nobody talks about what you guys talk about in there okay but it these people that group of people become like a source of help for you it doesn't only have to be a paranormal situation yeah. it could be things just that happen to you in your life and 
if that person knew that at one point you had a situation where, let's say you underwent an exorcism, for lack of a better word, you know, it's like, okay, worst case scenario, that's almost like this person might know stuff about you that even your own family doesn't know that occurred to you. And you, there's other things that you, you can work with this group on once you develop that relationship with them that uh, basically that they can help you out. It doesn't always just have to be the paranormal angle as far as getting help. And don't worry about finding yourself feeling alone. I've lost, I haven't lost any friends, but I, I live a very, um, uh, you know, I go to work, uh, I worked part-time at an animal hospital. Sharon's an, uh, an office manager at the same animal hospital days. I go in there a few nights a week and help the place close. But once we really, and she's a uh, Stephen minister through the Lutheran church. Mm-hmm. Once we got on those paths and started working the cases that we work now, uh, the friends dropped off. They all still know us. They all still love us. Mm-hmm. And I know we're in their prayers. Right. But it's pretty heavy duty. And you have to understand that, too. For some people, yeah. what you do is can be pretty heavy duty. And yes. they to cope with it, they need to distance themselves from you a little bit. It's not that they hate you. Right. They don't want to be your friend anymore. And they don't love you anymore. But Sharon and I have, have realized that over the years, we've just – it's – Basically, just Sharon and I now. When yeah. once it was, we ran in a pack of right. a lot of very close friends, and they're still our close friends. Yes. But they don't come over anymore. They don't call as much. Um, yes. And um, uh, it is what it is. They don't want to hear the stories because it freaks them out. Well, let's face and, it. If it if it's again, it's not the movie. If if let's say they hear you, they're gonna believe you, Sean. They're gonna say they're gonna well, know you this know is real. So many of them have reached out to me and say, I want you to know I bought your book today. I'm not going to read it ever. <laughs> but I bought it because I love you and I know how hard you worked on it. It took you through the lifetime in the making. And then right. finally, I finally got a message from Spirit. This story needs to be told. Mm-hmm. It was three years of literally putting my blood, sweat, and tears down through through pen to paper to get this done. Um, they They respect that and they bought it for that reason. Yeah. But they, many of them said, I don't ever plan to read it, but it's right. on the shelves. Because I know. Congratulations. This is, in other words, if it was anybody else on the author, I could say, oh, they're BSing. God, who knows? They're exaggerating. But since I know it was you, I know this is the truth. And I don't want to <laughs> read that stuff. I don't even want to read the book. I haven't read it since oh. I finished it. I haven't read it. Well, it's, it's, um, it, it, it's, it's it, like, I had to dig so deep and rip some old scabs off of some old wounds and revisit some things that I didn't even know. I didn't want to revisit until I was there, and then it was too late. Yes. And um, uh, it was—it's um, not any. You know, gosh, I'm so jealous of you. You number you—I don't know how many successful paranormal podcasts you do, but you've written so many books. I'm honored that you asked me to. No, on the contrary. Forward on your supernatural safety book, which is great. Yes, yes. But I don't know how you do it because this took so much out of me. I—I I don't know if I could ever do another one. Let me tell you something. I'll be when I'm writing. Uh, sometimes I put it off. I'll, I'll think, I, you know, I need to get started on this. I could work on it little by little. You know, you start getting that, and then I and I kind of put it off because it's almost like once you get focused in it, it's like, don't bother me. Don't. Are you gonna eat? No. Uh, no. You're done. 
Yeah. You're done. I, Sharon was having to remind me to go take a shower and yes. bring food to me because is that, is that, if I, you lose that train of thought, or if I get, you know, yeah. it, and it's it's a pro, it's true, especially when you're talking about stuff that's happened to you. Even though you're sometimes it's not like you said you. And this is the thing people don't realize when you start seeing something in your mind, your body does not realize that it's not reality. In other words, that you're just remembering something. And if it's something that caused you distress, you you do, you, you start getting, you, you start sometimes hyperventilating, sweating. You start having the same reaction you had when that episode was going on. Your body doesn't know that it's just up here. So you could get, you know, you basically stress out. Yeah. You know, as a result of it. Because you relive it, especially if it was something along the lines of what you were talking about. Like when that kid, God, that's, Hats off to you, Sean. I'm not kidding. I think I mean, I'm you, know, you, you also remember things that have nothing to do with what you're writing about. It's like yeah. I remember one night I just remembered um, I spent many years uh, just a raging alcoholic and drug addict. And I remember just one night coming home after being gone for days doing God knows whatever. And, you know, middle of the night, and there's my dad. I don't even want to start talking about it. I get emotional, but there's my dad waiting up for me in the middle of the night to have this long, drawn-out talk with me about just life. Didn't didn't ridicule me for my drug abuse. Didn't ridicule my friends. Didn't ridicule nothing. Just wanted to talk. And that talk saved my life. Yeah. Yes, sometimes it's, it's everything pivots sometimes on one event or one conversation. Yes, I absolutely agree. So that had nothing to do with the book, but you those things happen when you're writing, and you go, oh, my God, mm -hmm. can't believe I'm back there again. And and then you wonder, shit, did I even, I'm sorry, I just caused, no, but did I, did, I, did I remember to thank Dad for right. that before you passed? That Yeah, that you think like, and of course you're seeing this now in hindsight for the value, the true value of what, what that conversation was about. Yeah. Know? But sometimes you, you only have that vantage point, like you said, when years have gone by and you look back and you go, God, what if I wouldn't have had that person or that parent or whoever to have that conversation with me? Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's yeah, a lot of things sometimes, it's just that one event that, that basically is can take you off the road that you're on and put you on something else. And in your case, uh, you know, and, and let me tell you something, Sean. I think that, and um, I haven't finished reading the book. For a lot of people, sometimes they think that if they've been very wayward in their life, like you said, whether it's drugs or alcohol or just running with the wrong cloud, some people think, oh, what's the use? That's it. Like, I'm forsaken. And people don't realize that there's never that point where you could oh, I, too late. I, I'm glad you brought that up because I want people to know I spent – many, many years, and it did a lot of some of the things I write about in the book, I, a lot of the paranormal experiences while I was an alcoholic and a drug mm -hmm. abuser. Did I maybe uh, just imagine some of those things? Perhaps. Right. I don't think so, because um, I, I knew from the age of like 10 that I had a gift, mm -hmm. and I knew my my mother was gifted, I knew my sisters were gifted. I knew my father came from a long line of warriors for Christ. I knew all that. So, um, but, uh, you know what I, how I stopped, even when I met Sharon, 15, uh, we've been married for almost 17 years now. I was a raging alcoholic when Sharon and I met, you know how I stopped? 
I just finally got on my knees one day and I just, it's like the quicksand. You, you know, you may think you're about to die and all the stuff you've done, there's no way God's mm-hmm. going to help you out of this one because you don't deserve it. Right. But if you, if you really with every fiber of your being uh, give up and you mean it that you're done and all yes. you need is for them to intervene in your life at that moment and help you stop, you'll get the help. And I swear to you, I woke up the next morning and I've never had a drink since. Yeah. And that's that it happened people so I, I think that some people think like they like you said, it's just too many things have happened or I've done too many things and uh, you know, this is it. I'm ghosts, damned. Yeah, ghosts. Yeah. They say ghosts do that sometimes. They're they're afraid of judgment. There's no judgment. Go to yes. the light. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And that's a whole that's a whole other show. I'll tell you that. That's another show. And I, I, I people tell me all the time, Well, I I have every inten- I have every intention when I pass to stay back and haunt. And I'm going to try to help. Why would you do that? Like, why, <laughs> why would you do that? Come back in visitation, but I guarantee you, man, yeah, yeah, all, no, enough no. of the people that I've had near-death experiences, and Sharon's one of them, uh, heaven's just too beautiful, and there's yes. just yeah. uh, to people, not want to go there. People don't know is is if you are that stuck in between is a great place. You're out of the presence of the divine. You don't have a human body, so you really don't are not supposed to exist on this plane. It's a horrible existence for a soul that's trapped a human soul that's trapped here either by choice or because you know confusion or I'm telling you they're just waiting for you to sit down with them and talk that was my mother's speech to me you're going to see a lot of ghosts in your life they're just people like us that don't have a body anymore and if they appear to you there's for a reason ask them if you can help and if you can't be honest and tell them you can't help them and to move on but if you can't help them try but the spirit yes. sometimes just wants to hear a, a living person say guess what i'm sorry to be the one to have to tell you this in case you don't know you're dead you're dead, <laughs> you're dead. that yeah. light you're so afraid of i'm going to say a prayer for you and bring some yes. angelic beings down to yes. escort you there but all your family and friends are waiting for you over there that's where you need to go your time here is done there's yes. no more you can contribute to anyone here now in, in this dimension, your your time here is done. Right. That's all they need to hear from you, and then they'll move on and right. let them know yeah. there's no judgment. Right. Um, you know, there's yeah, and, and this is the thing is, and some of them it's like, it, people say, well, if it's a ghost, yeah, you do not sometimes have to state the obvious, which is exactly what you said. You're dead, <laughs> and you're like, yeah, yeah, because a lot of them they kind of suspect it, and either either in denial. Because some people either they died or they don't want to die or or they really truly for a lot of reasons they just don't understand that they're self-aware but that they don't have a physical body anymore they just yeah. that that they, they can't make that connection and they're still trying to figure out why doesn't anybody see them why doesn't anybody talk to them uh they kind of like that total and, and sometimes they i want to say that even even though I don't think in in the in that area there's linear you know time as we know it, it's almost like they kind of a little bit as time goes by they kind of forget almost, but they just know they're miserable because they're unhappy yeah. because let's face it this is a human soul and this is not the place for you to be. They, and they do say the longer these a lot of people yes. say I don't want you to get rid of the ghosts in my home where I'm cool oh, with them. Oh no! Longer they the longer they hang around the yes. the 
sadder and angrier they get yes. and they sometimes do then become malevolent yes. 20 years down the road and yes. then they take it out on you yes it, 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 you it, need it, to move on yeah you could do that it's people don't realize and you know you tell them peace be with you you know you know you need to go into the light uh and all your answers forgiveness light everything that you're looking for is going to be there and uh and like i tell everybody sometimes you all have the most appropriate person will come for them whether it's a parent or a child or a family or a friend somebody that they trust you know yeah. is going to come for them and you know lure them over because sometimes they're I mean, there's a lot of different personalities. People sometimes they lived as they lived being scared, and even when they're dead, they still kind of have that scared personality. Uh, yeah. So they have to be coaxed over into the other side. But anyway, Sean, it has been absolutely wonderful to talk to you. Uh, I'm going to have a. Now you and I have to always look at the clock when we talk because we can easily just. You know, Absolutely. Do interviews of people, a series of them. People don't even want to tune in. They're like, oh, Marlene and Sean are, are, are together again. Let me go have dinner first. <laughs> like, and, uh, you know, I, take a I'm shower, not kidding relax, you. I, I did that. <laughs> I had dinner before because I said, you know what? <laughs> if I don't eat before, I'm going to be ready to chomp on somebody when I finish. Because I don't... Absolutely. But, yeah, it's yeah, because, and, and this is, and you know what, Sean, the thing is that we have actually had firsthand experiences um, and we're not in it for the sensationalism. How's that? <laughs> it's not the yep. sensationalism and there's a reality to it. Um, and like you said, sometimes it's human God, spirits. I, but... hope, <laughs> I hope God, besides the obvious, I hope God really makes it clear to me, you know, what's in it for me here. Not that I need anything to be in it, but I would love yeah. for Sharon. I'd love to, she's 16 years older than me. I'm going to be 60 in November. Mm -hmm. So she's 76 years old. I would love to be, and she, she won't stop working. I would love for her to be able to retire. Right. I would love right. to be able to retire too if the book sales do well enough. God forbid. Or, you know, with God's help. Um, well, so you say that I don't want to be on a TV show. I couldn't. I've got my dogs. I've got Sharon I needed to take care of. I've got a home here. I don't want to. But it'd be nice if, um, if, if my soul is rich. I'm, my soul is satisfied with the help I give. But if at the same time you were able to... Um, uh, in just the comforts of life, get a little help from wherever that help came from of would course. be nice too. Of course. But I and I try not to make I, you know I joke all the time. I say, God, listen, I promise you, if you just let me win the lottery once, I That's will it. give half my winning, whatever they are. I'll give half my winnings to Catholic charities. Then I have to laugh and joke and tell them, and I tell them I'm just joking. Uh, because if that did, because if well, all of a sudden you know that what? did happen, you know, there's the temptation. Well, maybe I won't give half. <laughs> but you know, yeah, I know it's like, but but and, and this is the thing, Sean. Sometimes you think about it and you say, well, you know, sometimes you don't know what. Let's say you wrote this book now, and what we were talking about, and somebody reads this book, and you know we you you know us as human beings especially if you're undergoing something along these lines whether it's a haunting or something some people isolate and sometimes when you read a book and this person is describing what they went through either to you let's say personally or somebody that you were involved in a case and then all of a sudden they realize man this is i'm not the only one that this is happening to 
and there is a way to resolve this. I just need to go get help. Okay. But you know, you help somebody and you might never and never know about it. You know, and some people will read it and they'll read it and they'll okay, interesting it, but there's a lot of people that read this stuff and it's because they find themselves in this predicament. They just don't know how to get out of it. Okay. And you may twenty years from now I may be with Sharon um, you know, walking our dog in a park mm-hmm. and bumping into somebody to go, Are you Reverend Sean Whittington? Yeah. Well, guess what? You know, fifteen years ago I stumbled upon your book in the library and wrote yes. it. And this is what it did for me. And I tell you, right then, uh, you know, you're right. That makes it all worthwhile. Just right. And I mean, that, sometimes and that's and all not, does happen. And sometimes you never. And but let's. But at the same time, let's let let's let's call it by what it is, Sean. I mean, that's very altruistic. But we all need money to pay our bills to live, like you said, a life where, like you said, I you know I've got my house, I've got my animals, but you know you got to pay your 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 bills so whenever whichever way you well, it's can also your something money. else you said earlier just total trust i have total trust in yes. god has a master plan for me and i don't if i'm hungry i can eat if i if i'm tired i have a comfortable bed to sleep on yes. i know my wife loves me to death my dogs love me to death my family loves me yes. to death i have a roof over my head mm-hmm. um you know my car's falling apart but you know i can get that fixed I can take a bus to work. I can hitchhike to work. Uber. But, you know, we're, we're alive. And yeah. there's, it, there's, you know, I trust in that he does have a master plan. Yes. And I'm helping, you know, I'm helping, I'm trying to do my best to go along with whatever that plan is. I think he's got for me. And we'll you know see what? what have you considered, Sean, considering that you work with animals, have you ever thought about doing a book about, animal spirits and things like that you, and you mentioned something about having a... projects i have that people have already said you know just that alone would make a whole book i probably in many years from now will write another one and and that's a big topic is the animal spirits because like i and i didn't even realize on what scale it was until i ran into a i was at a paranormal conference mm-hmm. and a psychic that i didn't even know who didn't even know me walked up to me out of a crowd and said, that's a first. I've never seen someone followed by as many spirit animals as you are. You have about 20 dogs around you. And that just made, I just wanted, I didn't want to die right then and pass over and see them all. But that made me feel so good knowing, because I I can never remember not having a dog. I've had a dog since I was a little baby. I was always the one in the family that took care of them. I am going to be so happy if that's my heaven, to just be around all the dogs that I've always ever owned, and we're just laying in a field without a care in the world. Um, That that I'll be fine. Yes, and there's so I do that that story planned and and some other crazy ones. Um, uh, (laughs) I mean, and and there and, and but you know what? There's a dark side of it too. There's the what you said, what, you know, sometimes that you will have malevolent stuff personify in animals. I, I, I hate it when they take certain animals and they kind of like make them malevolent, like let's like a snake or this, but that I think sometimes you will have, especially if you're talking non-human entities or elementals, use certain noises or animals to personify, like what you described those, that cat in the bush, that, that crying thing and, 
that you also saw the the dogs when you know the dark dogs you know that there's a lot sometimes a lot of myths around you know the black dog and things like that uh, yeah there's a there's a there's also a little darker side of the things with animals and uh, I've also heard of um, things have real dark uh, hauntings uh, especially at places where there's been abattoirs or slaughterhouses yeah things like that um, places where it curses the land it didn't happen yeah. to human beings but it happened to animals uh, I mean th there's there's a whole and it, I mean it, it, it goes on off it's a matter of fact you know how they say certain places where people that are practicing dark magic they'll gravitate to it and nobody can figure out why sometimes it's because on that site there was some type of shedding of blood of animals uh a lot you know yes. slaughterhouses and things like that um and yeah i mean the the impact of animals positive and negative it's there is there as far as even in the spirit form yes even in the spirit form but uh, yeah, I hope you do that book. But I, I understand totally what you mean as far as that. Once you decide to do it, it it really is draining in the sense of time and mental. You know what goes up up here to produce it to translate it from what's up here into the written form. People don't realize what's really involved. Yeah, know? I don't know how you did it. Hats off. No, I mean tell you something. Yeah, you know, <laughs> unless you're like one of these. I mean, I you know, you look at some of these authors and you're like, man, you know. I don't know how you do that. That they go, they they spit out the books all very easily, and I guess it depends what point you're writing from. But uh, yeah, I, I hope you put that book out because it it sounds like you have a lot of experience on that level with the animal thing, and there's a lot of people out there that that I don't know. It's they've they have that even if they're not the biggest animal lovers, but they always they have some special link with a certain animal that they've had a pet. And some people have this connection, and once they lose that pet, they never again want another animal because they're so hurt when they lose that one pet. Absolutely, I, I'm like that. And then, and, but next thing you know, I'm yeah. bringing another pet home, yeah. and then I'm so glad that I did. But yeah, every time I'm driving home from having to, you know, uh, I'm leaving the animal hospital because I just had to put one of my animals down. They got cancer, or they got mm -hmm. really badly injured, hit by a car, what have you. Yes, couldn't be saved. Um, yeah, you're like, I'm done. I'm done. But yes. God, like I said, God has the master plan. You know, you, I wake up the next morning, walk outside and there's some stray dog sitting in my yard looking at me going, Hey, you got, need a dog? You can't find the owner of that dog. And you're like, all right, pal, here's your bowl. Here's your bed. Uh, make yourself comfortable. I told you, Sean, a year ago, uh, I want to say a little bit over, I had had a dog that my daughter had gotten for my, her kids, my grandchildren, and of course it ended up being with me because he was kind of a little bit rambunctious yeah. and she lived in an apartment. You know, one of those things that, so anyway, he became my dog and he, <laughs> you know, he eventually passed away. I think he was, had his heart because one day he just was a little bit weird. And the next thing I know, I look up for him under the table and he was dead. He just died. Aww. So I'm just thinking, but anyway, he had, he was already an older dog. So, you know, okay. And time went by, and, and you know what? And I said, you know what? I'm I'm going to give a rescue pet a home, you know, because I know I'm I'm on, and I'm on all these uh, Fido finders, and whenever somebody puts out an alert for an animal that's been lost in my area, I keep an eye out for it. 
And there was one where um, they had like a little white poodle and they had found it and they were posting it, trying to find the owner. So I called up the, well, I texted them. I kind of communicated with them on email. I said, look, if you do not find the owners and you cannot keep her, let me know. I'll take her. And sure enough, about three weeks later, they contacted me and they said, look, we have posted signs, not only on the computer, we've put up posters in the area. We took her to a vet. She had a chip, but it didn't, it's not, no information for the chip and we can't keep her. Do you want her? Yeah, yeah, yeah. She goes, well, she's finished. She was in heat. If you want to come pick her up in a week. I said, perfect. I picked her up, Sean. She's a white poodle. She must have been maybe two years old. It took me, she's real sweet girl, real sweet girl. And uh, it took me, I, I, got, I took her to the vet. I said, look, she looks like she's well taken care of, but I have other dogs. I need to give her her shots just in case, you know, distemper, all that other stuff. Anyway, long story short, it took me about three or four weeks to finally get her groomed. And all of a sudden, I look at her, and I'm like, wait a minute. Wait a minute. <laughs> that little belly, huh? Sure enough. Apparently, when she had gotten out, she had she was impregnated. She had been in heat. <laughs> so here we go. All right, Marlene. I take to the vet, and I'm like, I know. They take, they take an x-ray, two puppies. But to make a long story short, apparently, some type of big dog had impregnated her. And when she went to them, to have them, she couldn't birth them. One got stuck in the birth canal and died, and the other one they had to give her the equivalent of a doggy C-section. Yeah. So she had one puppy, and that's my male dog, and I kept him, of course. And um, I have my other. I have this. I have like eight dogs right now. Okay, so uh, wow. it gives you an idea. So when I'm talking to the vet, because I have other female dogs, and my other male dog has already been neutered, so. I tell the vet, hey, you know what? It's easier to neuter him than spay all my female dogs. And she goes, well, we usually recommend that you wait till he's a year old, which would have been May, like now May. And I'm thinking, okay, fine, not a problem. I'll just, my two little dogs that are not spayed, I'll just make a long story short. Somehow or other in December, when one of them was <laughs> in heat, you know where I'm going with this, right? Yeah. <laughs> that little troublemaker, Bubba, we named him Bubba. Got one of my girls. That was your first problem. <laughs> God, you know, that gift that keeps on giving. Yeah. That, that thing about a puppy not being able to impregnate. No, that doesn't. No, he impregnated her. I don't know. And I was watching. I was on top. It was like, and she's she's a cross between like a Chihuahua Rat Terrier. She had six puppies. <laughs> Do you remember how it was when we were teenagers? We always found a way. <laughs> I'm telling you, it was like. I was thinking, okay, we were like, we were like, I'm like, oh my God, here. I, and then I'm thinking, okay, well, she's a small dog. So I'm hoping, because he's like how small, you could tell she, somehow or other, she's a white poodle and she must have got, I think, together with a Labrador or something because he's got a weird little mix. But I'm thinking, okay, my dog is small. So maybe she'll have maybe just a couple of puppies, you know, like I'm here like six, six of them. She had never had puppies I had uh, because I'm, I'm really careful about breeding because I'm always thinking there's so many rescues out there that need a home. Six, six, uh, six puppies, you know, so it was like, and that was just out of that one good deed of <laughs> the one rescue. I'm telling you, it's like here a year later, I've got seven extra dogs to go with that first rescue. But anyway, it's a good story in the sense of, I take it all in stride. I'm going to keep one of them and the rest. I've already got homes already set up. I've got people that are, that are willing to, you know, give them a good home. But <laughs> I'm telling you, uh, yeah, no good deed goes unpunished, I guess is the moral of this story. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah.
<laughs> so anyway, thank you so much again, Sean. It has been wonderful. Oh, thank you. you. And I hope you're going to come back and, you know, we can talk about other experiences that you've had because I know you've had plenty and um, things, things that happen. You know, I'm sure like, uh, like me, sometimes I don't, I'm not that active anymore going out there, but I do get called to consult on a lot of stuff just sometimes for just for help sometimes people are like what do you think about this or have Definitely, you heard about this yeah. <laughs> you know uh and um you know we could uh, also talk about a lot of the stuff that i hate to say it is particular even here to south florida you see a lot of it which is that um dark magic yeah. you know which is um and all you have to have is eyes in your head and you'll see signs of it all over the place absolutely so, so i'll have you, you it's your turn up so you'll be on my show next. Yes, my pleasure. Just let me know, okay? You got it. Okay, darling. Take care. God bless you. I love you. You're on the prayer list. You know that. Thank you. Likewise. Talk to you later. Okay. Bye. 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 Wow, he's a fantastic guest. He really, truly is. Let me tell you something. I'm not kidding. He walks the walk and talks the talk. Sean is the for real thing. I mean, I've interviewed him and he's interviewed me. And but what I'm saying is, we've talked like off, you know, not not been when we're recording or, and he is very sincere. And uh, when he wrote that book about his experiences, he's, I mean, I'm sure that he chose, but there's a lot of experiences that he hasn't written about. And um, he. I'm not kidding. And he, he's told me about it. This kind of work is very challenging. A lot of people, for some reason, they see these movies and they think, I don't know how, but that there's some type of glamour because maybe they think they're being called by God to do this work, which, yes, there is. And, and I'm not kidding. Most of the people that I've spoken to that do work in deliverance or exorcisms, initially, they're kind of like digging their heels and like going, uh, no, I don't want to do that. I know. And somehow or other, things just go in that direction where that's where they end up. That's the work they end up doing. And, uh, but even they, you know, at, at some point, they have to step back from it because, yeah, you know, you could say, well, there's Physically, there's a drain on you because physically, sometimes you have to drive, you have to go places, you have to do this, you have to do that, where they have to step back to basically get some downtime, spiritually, mentally, uh, because there's always that, I don't want to say it's not fear because you don't have that fear, it's not a fear thing, but there's this pressure that whatever is there sometimes it'll run from somebody that's going to perform some type of intervention but other times you are subject to attack like what happened with with sean okay i've had interviews already a couple of times with bill bean who's described the same thing he'll say you know it's 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 a thing it's the, the physical demands of going here, going there, and driving here, driving there, and then the spiritual stuff. And we're human beings. People are human beings with human bodies, and and so you have to take some time off. And a lot of them get to the point of what 
Sean is describing where all of a sudden you want to take a back seat to this type of work because he's absolutely right. Uh, you will have friends and family who, I don't want to say you get isolated in the sense, but they're around, but they're like almost hesitant, like almost like it's something is catching, like, yeah, I know you do that work, but if I hang around you, is something going to like hitchhike with me? You know, it's almost like, like something is catching and it's, it's, it's kind of weird and sometimes people don't understand it, but it scares them. It scares them. And what he was describing where, yeah, you have friends and families and they're there and they care, but at the same time they start doing this arm's length kind of stuff. Unless, of course, they ever get into trouble and I'm sure he's going to get a phone call. Hey, buddy, or hey, so-and-so, cousin, or whatever. Guess what? I need your help. You know, then all of a sudden, yeah, then, then then you become real popular. But people get very scared of it. So even in your in your regular relationships, it can get it, it can affect even those relationships because people think, you know, how you, you hear about guilt of by association. It's almost like I love you, and you and I care about you. And maybe at some level, I admire what you do, but I don't want to get too close to you because what if something jumps on me and, you know, you know, I'm talking on a, it's, it's, it's not a logical kind of mentality, but it's usually driven by precaution and fear. And like he was saying, you get to a point where, you know what, you don't want to always be looking over your shoulder or especially after what he experienced, that you want to be thinking, you know, am I going to get targeted because whatever, because, and that's one of the things when, well, in the case of Sean, where he, this is what he specializes in, uh, yeah, sometimes you go out there, you really don't know. Sometimes you know right off the bat, but there's different levels of malevolence. You could go on something that could be very low grade. Maybe it's not that difficult. But you might go out there and you might be coming up against something really dark. Like you said, very ancient, very manipulative, very powerful. Okay. That has a million ways from Sunday of getting you off that case. Including attacking you. Okay. And anybody. And that's why a lot of clergy of different denominations, whether they're Catholic priests or ministers or whatever, possible, they are great when it comes to regular uh, religious counseling or needs or interventions, you know, drug use, uh, domestic violence, crisis in the family, uh, spiritual crisis, you know, doubting, all of that they can... They are, they're great, but when you start going into that realm of demonic possession or oppression or even you know, let's not let's not even go with uh, the demonic. Let's just go good old paranormal. Something's happening in my house. They put their brakes on. A lot of them maybe even will uh, um, do more like more modern, where you know. Uh, a lot of uh, reference to evil or Satan or Lucifer or devil is very like, a, well, it's not real. It's more like a, a, a description of 
the antithesis of good. But they, in other words, it's not they don't personify it. It's not as serious. And all of a sudden, yeah. Regardless if even before they might have, I don't want to say poo-pooed it, but they back down from it because they do realize. They do realize that it does, that it exists, that it's real, and that this is not your regular things that you can do battle with. As in, you know, hey, I've got some people that have come to me because their marriage is in crisis and, you know, there's been some type of adultery and, you know, that, that they can grapple with. Counseling, you know, or drug use, you know, they, 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 they've got some family member that's got an alcohol problem. Hey, they can deal with that. When you start getting into this, which is strictly, truly spiritual, okay, which, by the way, if you think about it, you've got a problem with, let's say, marriage, a marriage problem, adultery, whatever. You can go to a therapist, you, you know, counselor. I mean, same thing with drug addiction. You go to a therapist, you can go to a medical doctor if you need to be, you know, going to detoxify. But when it comes to something spiritual, who else are you going to turn to if not somebody that works supposedly in the spiritual realms which is clergy that is if let's say and I, and by this i'm assuming somebody that let's say has been attending a church or is part of a parish or something or you know whatever who is you supposed to go to if you think that you're having this type of problem and i hate to say it but that's why you see so many paranormal groups getting calls and myself included, this has happened to me because people have not gotten help from clergy. They, they don't. I've had people that have told me that they have asked for a house blessing, but they haven't really told either the priest or anything why they really want the blessing. They just say, oh, can you come and bless the house? Oh, whatever. But they're almost afraid of telling the priest or the clergy the real reason why they want the blessing is because something's been going on. Because... It almost changes the 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 relationship between them and the you know they're almost afraid of either one not being this not being believed or forever I'll be the one person so they kind of ask for a house blessing but they won't really state why and they just got their fingers crossed hoping hey when they come in here and do the blessing maybe maybe that'll take care of it why do you think paranormal groups get calls? Clergy turns them away. And if you think that all the times, and I'm sure a million people have heard these stories of all the stories on the programs that they say, oh, I've gone to the minister, I've gone to the priest, and they don't believe me. They do believe you. They tell you they don't believe you or they, they or they, you know, they make it like, oh, you know, you're family. they do believe you. But they just don't want to say to you, I believe you, but I don't know how to handle it or I'm afraid of handling it. Because you're going to say, but wait a minute. You're a spiritual leader. I come to church here. You're telling me that, you know, you, you you maybe preach and you're telling me and you're quoting from the Bible. And here I've come to you with maybe a major spiritual crisis. So a lot of times that you'll hear people say, you know what? Um, I didn't get any help from my church. And by this I'm talking, I've heard it from different denominations. And they kind of didn't, because they didn't believe us. And it's like, no, they did believe you. They'll go, no, they told, 
they kind of said, you know, they kind of like were looking at us. And don't get me wrong. I understand, especially like in the Catholic, that, 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 that they have like a checklist of things that they need to cross off. And of course, the first thing they look at is their drug use, mental illness. Absolutely. Of course, you have to go through there. But let's look at it this way. If you've got people that you have some type of relationship, even if it's very loose, that you see them at church and whatever. After a while, you get to know who in your congregation might have a problem. You know, whatever. That's what you're there for, to minister to humans that are imperfect in, in either in certain areas or at certain times something happens in their lives, right? And all of a sudden, this person doesn't believe what you're describing, that maybe you've had a hard time coming to the point of coming to them for help. And they kind of try to write it off. Well, uh, are you doing anything? Yeah. They, they, they try to make you feel like, I, I, I'm listening to you, but I really don't believe, you know, that this is a haunting or this is paranormal. It's like, I don't care. This is, this is their out of it. Because they do not want to be honest with you and tell you that they know, maybe even based, number one, because maybe they know that you don't have mental illness or that you're not abusing drugs or anything significant that could alter your perception of reality. And maybe if you describe what's happening there, they kind of get that ting-a-ling-a-ling like, crap, this is, there is something going on. They're not about to tell you, hey, I do believe you, but I'm scared. I don't know. I, I don't know. Because what happens to their credibility? Business person is going to look at them and go, what do you mean? You mean all this time that maybe I've been coming to this church and listening to you? It's all been like what? BS? As long as it was nice and vanilla? When I see mean vanilla, I mean vanilla as in, yeah, regular good old problems that human beings have. Then you were good with it. And now when I, who else am I going to go to do this with? The police? No. A psychiatrist? No, there's nothing wrong with me. A therapist? No, this is a spiritual matter. I'm coming to you. And you don't believe me? Or you're telling me that you're scared? That's why paranormal groups get calls. And I've gotten calls like that. I've been on investigations like that. That clergy have either refused to help because of disbelief or if they've done anything, it's been kind of like lackadaisical. Like, yeah, I'm going to give you a blessing in the house quick and then I'm running out the front door. Okay, I blessed the house. Mm, everything seems good here. Bye. Yeah. And these people are like, huh? Wait a minute. Let me tell you something. Once upon a time, this carried a, that's, that's, you know, that's why a lot of people say, well, you know, it's become more mainstream with the advent of these paranormal reality shows where people are more, more than willing sometimes to admit to uh, haunting. Sometimes there is no haunting, but once upon a time, that's why you didn't carry, like, kind of want to say like a little bit of a stigma where people didn't want to admit it that they were having events going on in their house for years sometimes. Some of it pretty dark and horrific. I mean, I've read I, people that said, yeah, I grew up in this haunted house for 20 years. I was scared. I was I was a kid and I was having nightmares and, and it was horrible. And you think, man, why didn't they go for help? Because back then, 
until when I say back then, as in maybe less than more than 20 years or 15 years, it kind of carried like either something wrong with you, uh, you're lying, uh, I mean, any, anything, anything. Yeah, it is real. I'm talking, it is real when it's real. Yes, there's a lot of people that have psychiatric problems that there's nothing supernatural. Yes, there's people that have supernatural experiences because they're doing drugs. Sometimes, no, sometimes like what Sean was saying, you could have an addiction problem and it's being compounded by supernatural agencies around you, okay? And then there's people that are totally saying there's nothing wrong and maybe they dabbled or something in the wrong place. It, it could be, and there's nothing wrong with them. And they're right in the middle of something going on in their lives and in their houses that they just cannot grapple with and they don't understand. And it's a spiritual thing. They come finally after they've gone through all the possibilities of, uh, you know, of things that they themselves can't explain. They, you know, they've called electricians, they've called plumbers, they've called people from the pest control. They've, they, they, they you know, and so they they come to the one thing that's left that's paranormal a haunting whatever and then they go to somebody thinking this is the person i should i i would need i thought i would go to and come to find out that this person is just as scared as you are even if supposedly they're well versed in the spiritual and the point i'm trying to make coming back to the that they understand how uh, when somebody does an intervention, let's say like what Sean is talking about, Rev, the Rev is doing, you kind of put a bullseye on yourself, okay, from whatever's there, depending on how malevolent it is, how old it is, how intelligent it is, okay, as far as to derail you and get you out of the way. And, I mean, I'm sure you heard, and, and, and like I said, if you want to read the book, it's a great book. I've been showing a copy of it. I'm going to have a link to uh to his website on the credits of the show and uh, of course you know um uh you can look him up he's he's also he's, he's in and he mentions it also on his um on his radio show on kcor radio kcorradio.com like i said it's on mondays uh 5 p.m uh pacific 8 p.m eastern standard time every week he he talks on there and he's got a lot of interesting guests but uh, believe me, he's um, not everybody is willing to and to to dabble consistently in this uh, and uh, respond to a call. And you find out that it's everything the person told you and more. Because you're always hoping, especially when you do it like he does, that you're going to get there and Either one, there is nothing there, or like he said, it's just Uncle Joe up in the attic stomping around. And maybe somebody needs to have a conversation with Uncle Joe and move him on. Then to what he described, which by the way, it's exactly what he describes in the introduction of the book. It just grips you. That one story that, that it opens with as far as um, how good the book is. So I urge you to get it. It's, it's a very, very good read. And it's very well written. Uh, and I guess the, besides being a good read, if you're into the paranormal and you like to read these stories, it's the reality of either working in this field. If Because there's a lot of people that say, oh, I'm going to do that. 
the reality of it or people that dabble in stuff thinking eh, uh, nothing's gonna happen uh, that always happens to the guy oh that's exaggerated no stuff like that can happen and it's very intrusive and, and like we were talking about your life even after you have an intervention from somebody like Sean your life will never be the same again you will your life will always be marked before and after this event even if there's a complete exorcism even if there's a total deliverance even if you move on and you know you are will never ever be the same again you will never be the person you were before your life will never be the same as it was again i don't care what anybody says and that is the reality of it and this is like a cautionary tale for people that sometimes want to dabble in dark things not knowing what really entails or what can come with it or what you're actually inviting even though you think you're not putting out an invitation you know I, i'm not an alarmist uh but you can't say you believe in the paranormal but then poo poo the darker side of the consequences of getting involved in stuff without realizing how or life-changing it could be for the worse okay because like and i've said it before even when you call in sean he's he's gonna pack up his stuff and he's gonna go home you're the one that has to stay living in that house or in these conditions even after deliverance you're the one that has to stay there and deal with it it's and, it, and believe me it's not like the movies where hocus pocus it's over it's gone yeah sometimes the heavy lifting has been done for you but you still got residual stuff that you got to deal with you still got to deal with evil because i'm going to use that word trying to creep back in somehow or to find a little chink in your armor to creep back in and sometimes the most devious ways so anyway guys i hope you like the show i've got a lot of interesting guests coming on uh like i said i'm hoping to bring sean back on so that we could discuss some other interesting stuff especially those things with the animals as you can tell we're both into animals uh if uh, you have any true stories please submit them to me at miamighostchronicles.com where you can also find links to either the shows on youtube or the podcast files uh or direct links to the podcast platforms okay if you find us whether it's on youtube or any of these platforms make sure to like subscribe or somehow or other so that you get notified when i release new shows and if you follow me on any of social media again i put out their links to the new shows when they're released sometimes i'll re-release links to older shows just because sometimes people miss them uh and I and, and I also put up notices either when I put up a new book or who's a new guest that's coming on sometimes I have also in the social media about giveaways um, sometimes I have gotten contacted by different shows that are looking for participants like for different paranormal shows that that they need like a certain type of uh, you know they're looking if somebody has this type of story sometimes I do get contacted by them and I'll put stuff up on my website but I'll announce it on social media so if you know you can find me Facebook uh, Twitter Instagram any of those places you know you could make sure that 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 way if that's what you're interested in whatever I get that information I share it I share it you know and then you take it from there and 
uh, my true believer stories uh, you know I have the new series which is supernatural story time supernatural storytime.com and these are stories about stuff people have sent me throughout the years uh, and then I've got nightshadediary.com that's all about classic ghost stories uh, that there's got so many good ones out there so depending on what you like what you're into uh, I hope that uh, that you visit but again I want to thank you so much for being part of my audience and for spending this time with me take care <laughs>